Hey, this is Ken Art of Wake Up Carolina. Because we're in such demand, we decided to do a podcast. Well, actually, it's like an archive of a previously broadcast show on the radio. So it's not a podcast. Well, it is presented as a podcast. So invite people to join us for whatever it is you just said they can join us for. That's right. Enjoy, and it starts now. Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, March 28th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. So explain to me exactly what happened at the Oscars last night. Uh, I hear there was a confrontation. Uh, I actually went on Twitter this morning and saw some of the um, some of the video. Is it staged or not? I well, mean, you, have you the did, ratings gotten that terrible or that's, you know. You, you asked that question as if you thought I was watching the Oscars last I mean, night. I, I which, would imagine you've heard about it by. Yeah, but I had, I just want to make clear, I did not watch the Oscars. Okay, I, I barely no, remembered it was happening. Anyway. Why do you want to make that clear that you I weren't watching the Oscars? I wouldn't want somebody to mistake me for somebody who cares about the okay, Oscars. Fair enough. Okay. I used Good to. I, used, I mean, I used to make sure I watched it every year. I couldn't care less now. Um, and so, yes, I, I I woke up to the same. Uh, <laughs> you can't be a conservative and watch the Oscars. Oh. If you're a conservative, you got to let it be known. It's not good enough to not watch the Oscars. you got to let people know you didn't watch uh, the Oscars. Well, I mean. It, so it's, it's established that you nor I watch the Oscars. So we're getting off to a good start so far this <laughs> right, week. Right, right. At, at some point during the, uh, the Oscars, uh, I guess over the years, it went from celebrating movies and actors and actresses to also including uh, big time political statements. And when I realized that those people pretty much, you know, hate me or disagree with me or want to lecture to me, um, I decided I didn't care anymore. So I don't watch it. I did, of course, see the uh, the social media posts uh, when I woke up this morning about the uh, uh, Will Smith walking on the stage and smacking Chris Rock across the face because he did a or told a joke that included uh, Will Smith's wife. So, so and, I don't know if it's staged or not. To be honest, it, actually, it didn't look staged to me from the standpoint of when uh, when Will Smith sat back down, he's he was yelling back at Chris Rock and cussing him out. And but they're actors. True. I mean, they, that's what they do. They play parts. True. So so why would you believe it was not staged? I mean, that's all those people in that room do is stage things. That's very true. And. They're really good at staging things. Yeah. Um, and dropping the F-bomb is not that big a deal anymore, especially, I mean, I think it was cut from the live broadcast, but was allowed on their streaming service, whatever streaming service was carrying. Uh, yeah, when someone said this morning, I was driving over, and someone said it appeared to not be staged. Well, I mean, it appears Superman can fly. <laughs> it, it appears that, that Red, you know, found his sanity outside of prison. I mean, it appears that Luke Skywalker was the... The good guy. Make a good point. Yeah, I mean, that's all those people do is stage and, and, things. And their ratings have suffered for well, years. And there I mean, you nobody go. cares, I mean, they, and so now we're talking about it sure. all of a sudden. And, and I mean, I, it, I'm like you. I could care less what happens or not at the Oscars, but anytime someone strikes another human being in front of an audience and then yells out, you know, keep my wife's effing name out of your mouth over and over again, I mean, it draws attention. It mm-hmm. does. Maybe they did exactly what they intended that, that to do. That was assault. I mean, he walked up there and assaulted the man on live television. Well, unless it was staged. Exactly. I mean, if it was staged, it was not an assault. Yep. Uh, if it was, if Chris Rock has been assaulted, then Chris Rock will file charges. And uh, but uh, it's, it's it, it doesn't matter to me at all. But it is. Uh, it, it it probably speaks to the desperate nature of the Oscar awards. Um, once so you again, believe it was staged? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, to, to your point, 
um, when nobody watches the Super Bowl of all um, award shows, and I guess the Super Bowl of all movies, when, when they congregate together and tell one another how exceptionally talented, talented they were and are, um, and it morphs into a, I can be more political than you can. I mean, I, I've got bigger political grievances than you do. Um, Sean Penn said that if it uh, if Zelensky was not honored at the Oscars, that's something he's going to do. You know, who cares what Sean Penn does? Well, I, I would imagine we do because we're sitting here first thing this morning talking about it uh, instead of um, the guy that went to represent American interest around the world. I've got three faux pas. You ready? Mm, um, big ones. Well, I mean, to me, they are. Uh, Trump said, say, you know, it's kind of interesting. All of a sudden, we don't like the guy who says what he really feels. But we did like the guy who says what he really <laughs> feels. But now Biden says things that maybe he really feels, or I don't know if he does or not. But but he goes off script. He, he goes a little bit. Uh, he ad libs. Now, now, we, you and I, what was one thing we liked about Trump? He'll tell you what he believes. Yeah. He'll say what he, he went thinks. Off script. Yeah, he, he goes ad-libbed. off script and he ad libs and he says things that um, that, that the public may find a bit revolting. Let me ask you a question: Do you agree that Vladimir Putin um, cannot remain in power? I agree. Based I on I what? I don't see. I mean, how how can he? Well, says who? Let, let two yeah, words. I, I, I see where you're who. going here. I mean, that we had an election in 2018. Sixty-seven percent of Russians voted. Seventy-seven percent voted for Vladimir Putin. Did they? Well, I mean, did did anyone million vote for Joe Biden? <laughs> did they? I mean, why is the integrity of our election? I, I, not I any see question? where you're going. Sure, uh, and and maybe you know, remain in power. Hmm. <sighs> Do the Russian people have a right to elect as their leader who they choose to? Sure. Okay. The the Russian people in 2018. I mean, we're talking about the um the imperfections of our election. So the Russians in 2018 chose via the ballot box 77 percent voted for uh, Vladimir Putin. Does Vladimir Putin um, deserve to remain in power? I mean, the Western world says he cannot remain in power. Says who? we got to be real I mean, careful. Is, is he committing war crimes? Sure. Did, he's committing- did, did, did we commit war crimes in Iraq when we invaded a sovereign nation? I mean, were we provoked by Iraq? Well, let's put this shoe on the other foot. I'm not an anti-American. I am a total and no, complete I, patriot. I, I hear your argument. But, but we're being a bit hypocritical here, yeah. aren't we? Yep. I mean, when you think about the stars and stripes, it never does anything wrong, <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's the good old U.S. of A. It's the sign it's shining city on a hill. Um, and, and I believe <laughs> but, but, all but that. Is it, but uh, to, to take your point a step further, though, isn't it reckless, though, for the president of the United States to, to say it out loud? The, yes, but but to, to the point I'm trying to make, is it reckless to think that? Right. I mean, is it any of our business who the leader of Russia is? I mean, we yeah, got to really no this say. for a second. We don't, have any, we don't deserve to have any say. No. I mean, we can't go around the world because we see it a certain way picking leaders. I mean, we can't go to Russia and Poland and Germany and some of these other places and say, hey, you know, this is the person you need to elect because we know better than you. I mean, I'll tell you, we've gotten ourselves in a pretty arrogant place here. And I think the height of arrogance is what Joe Biden uttered um, when he said, my God, this man cannot remain in power. Says whom? I mean, can, can the can the president of Lithuania stay in power? I mean, does he have to run that by America? I mean, do we need to say it's okay. Um, Hey, you Germans, before you elect your next chancellor, come see us. 
And we'll tell you what's in. America what, had uh, something to say about uh, Gaddafi being sure in power did. in Libya. Had a lot to say about it. Remember, Obama <laughs> goes to Israel and campaigns against, against Netanyahu. Yeah, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. That's right. I mean, really? Well, we got to be careful here. Last week, we debated the issue. You know, is it. Do, do, do we Americans have the authority, the moral authority, forget the legal authority, the moral and ethical authority to assassinate a foreign leader? I mean, we, we got to be real careful about where this leads. And when you look at the three faux pas or missteps that the president said, uh, one was... Well, can, um, can Putin be uh, a participant in world affairs again? Remember, he was attending the G20s and different things the over the last years. The world will decide that. Right. I mean, the world will decide. America won't decide that. I mean, we get on we get on Air Force One. We fly over to Poland. And, and, and we, we expect everybody to kiss the ring. Everybody to bow down before us because we're American. We knows what's we know what's best for the rest of the world. Um, I would argue that the rest of the world may say, "Hey, um, don't you guys have some cleaning up to do around your front doorsteps?" I mean, aren't you the nation thirty trillion dollars in debt? I mean, we, we got to be real careful about what what our objectives are, and and I mean, do we have any guardrails? Do, do we have? Do, can we? Are we able to police ourselves? There's an interesting article. In Reason, um, Reason's a libertarian-leaning website. Well, that's not libertarian-leaning. It's libertarian. <laughs> I mean, it's a libertarian website. And it says in an uh, article this morning, we are not a nation of laws any longer. We're a nation of rulers. I mean, our, our government is morphed in um, not to um, what does the law say. Our, our government is morphed into um, we are the leaders and we say. Forget the law. We are now the leaders uh, the rulers, and we say what the rules are. You know, we, we don't pass laws any longer. We've got, um, I think I read yesterday, the state of California is 519 bureaucratic agencies. The state of California has 519 bureaucratic agencies. You know what came out of those 519 bureaucratic agencies during COVID? About 1,747 regulations that were never voted on. They were never passed by anybody. So, so we're, you know, you combine this, this Biden um, mistake on the world stage when he ad-libs and says, you know, my God, this man cannot remain in power with the fact that we're not a nation of laws any longer. We're a nation of rulers. Our ruling has to know limits. It has to know bounds. We don't have the authority. We don't have the resources. This is kind of the most, this will be the most humbling moment in my lifetime as an American, when mm -hmm. we agree that there are things around this world that we don't like, but we don't have the the economic, nor political, nor military horsepower to do all these things. See, that there's something about our leaders in Washington. They believe we have this, this limitless ability to change whatever it is out there we need and see that needs to be changed. And we don't. That shouldn't be our objectives. That there's a good, article, a good article in the National Review we'll touch on at some point in time this morning. We're talking about what needs to happen in China, what needs to happen in Russia, what needs to happen in some of these other foreign lands. Do we have the authority to tell the Russians who they can or cannot have as their leader? And it's interesting that we say, well, you know that election wasn't fair and square. I mean, we believe half the country doesn't believe our election <laughs> was fair and square. What's the difference there? True. 77% of Russians voted for Vladimir Putin. 
67.7% of the Russians voted. Do they or do we deserve to say who stays in power in Russia? Moscow. Let's take it for an example. How old is Washington, D.C.? A couple of hundred, somewhere there about. You know what Moscow dates back to? About 1148. So all of a sudden, um, Johnny come lately, the baby of a nation that has changed the world in a way that um, we're all be, I mean, you, you're blessed, I'm blessed, everybody listening to my voice by and large has been blessed to be a part of this great experiment called the United States of America. But it's a baby of a nation. It's about 200 and what, 30, what is it, six years old now? 236-ish, thereabout. Um, Moscow was founded in like 1142. But Moscow didn't get to, di- they don't get to dictate the terms and conditions of which they operate and function as a nation. We do. I mean, they're what, 900 years old? The city of Moscow is 900 years old. But Washington gets to tell Moscow how to govern and police themselves. I mean, we've we got to stop with this. I mean, the, the, the hubris of the American political leadership to me, knows no bounds. So you mentioned the other faux pas. So you well, I mean, the faux well, I mean, he tells, you know, when, when someone asks about chemical weapons and he said, we'll return in kind. in kind. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty insane. Mm. But that's, that's the guy who has, I mean, people that aren't drinking, people that are drinking say these things and people that have dementia say these things. And the spur of the moment, they just kind of, you got to be real careful and real guarded about that. I mean, that's why you don't let people drink when they're in charge of big things. That's why you don't let people with dementia in charge of big things. And then addressing, I think, the 88 Airborne, not the 82nd. 82nd. Was it 82nd? I think it was 82nd. Okay, 82nd Airborne, when he says, you'll see it when you get there. You know, some of these uh, Ukrainians fighting with valor and and dignity and uh, courage, you'll see when you get there. And um, all three of those have been walked back by the White House. Somebody said, put his ass on a plane and get him back over here now. I mean, we can corral him while we've got him here. (laughs) We send him to Delaware every weekend. You know, we send him to Camp David every now and then. Somebody get their arms around Joe Biden, get him back on American soil so we don't have all this explaining <laughs> on the global stage to do. Now, Emmanuel Macron, it, it looks to me, Macron is the what, what, the prime minister, president of France, and he wants to be president of the United States and the world. I mean, there's kind of this globalist battle within some of these um, some of these dignitaries on the global stage. They want to be president of the world with this global economy and globalism and transnationalism and all these other things. The simple question I'm posing to you, let's, let's, let's argue that half the country, um, half the country that we reside in don't believe that, that, that Vladimir Putin can remain in power. Says who? I mean, it's bizarre to me that that's not the story here. The, the story is how does it play in this Western narrative of, I mean, Putin's always trying to convince the Russians what? That NATO is after Mother Russia. NATO wants regime change. The Americans want regime change. Well, Joe Biden just told you that Vladimir Putin is exactly right. Some of the paranoia in Russia is exactly right. Mm -hmm. NATO, led by America, is in the business of regime change. My God, this man can't remain in power. Let's go to the phone before we take our first break. Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. Hey, guys. And, Ken, I agree with you. My my question is, what you're talking about, we're trying to do, is exactly what Putin's trying to do to Ukraine. Now, we've seen that he's killed women and children and civilians and all this and that. Um... And I agree that, that, that 
it's not up to us to go and assassinate another foreign leader. My, my question is, do we just allow him to do what he wants to do? And, 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 and I don't know. I, I, I'm not a politician. Lord knows our president isn't either. But, um, you, you know, I don't know what all the ins and outs is. I mean, we watched Maduro and, and his predecessor do basically the same thing in Venezuela. And we let it was only their country, so we let them throw it down the toilet just like the Democrat communists want to do in this country. But we let them do it in Venezuela. And, and, and I know that sounds like we let them do it, but we did. We, we didn't do anything to stop it. And it's in our backyard. What what do we do when when these people are, like, he's just going into Ukraine and killing all? Used to be, you know, America would, would step up and take care of things like that. What's the answer now? Uh you guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. Hold on to that. Let's take our first break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937 is our number. I mean, we've got loud voices, respected voices, uh, at times revered voices in America say, you know, let's assassinate Vladimir Putin. And now the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, says, my God, this man cannot remain in power. Says whom? <laughs> Who gives us the authority to assassinate Another world leader. And now you see why they won't let him take questions from reporters. But I mean, this is not just Joe Biden. This is the American way. I mean, there there are many, many, many Americans who have bought hook, line, and sinker. This imperialistic, uh, you know, exporting of democracy and um, the placement of governments in lands because that's the way we want that land to be governed. That's pretty spooky as far as I'm concerned. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. I'll tell you this, the uh, the NCAA basketball tournament, Final Four, that begins Saturday, this coming Saturday. I'm not a big basketball fan, but this is must-see TV if you are a sports fan. Mm -hmm. Villanova, which is um, kind of a a recent dynasty, will take on Kansas, one of the Blue Bloods, and in the other semifinal, North Carolina and Duke, um, kind of tobacco road goes national. And I'm telling you, it is a... It will be one of the most intriguing Final Four. So many storylines. Villanova won, what, the championship in, I think they've been to four of the last seven Final Fours. Kansas, I mean, we know the story there, one of the preeminent blue bloods in all of college basketball. And then you've got North Carolina spoiling Coach K's final home game at Cameron. Duke gets a chance to redeem themselves on the national stage in the Final Four. So, yeah, as a college football fan, I'm excited about this weekend's um, college basketball that culminates in a national championship game uh, Monday night. Let's go to the phone. Here is Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hey, Boudreaux. Hello? Hey, you're on. Hello, hello? <laughs> hey. Oh, well. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. So last week... We had members of the U.S. Congress say um, that we, you know, kill kill Vladimir Putin. We had Jeff call in. Remember, Jeff agreed with Sean Hannity. Jeff and I have a mutual friend. He's an acquaintance of mine. He's a friend of Jeff's. We go to the gym together, and um, he knows that Jeff calls in this show, and we have these disagreements at times. Um, and I said, hey, just tell you, when you see your buddy Jeff, 
tell him I was proud that he chose to agree with Sean Hannity uh, the, the other day. Remember when Jeff calls in and says, you know, did you just did you listen to the blurb that just came on your show? Uh, it says Sean Hannity agrees with killing Lindsey Graham and said, you know, we should kill. What, what if Russia didn't want to be a part of the Western world? I mean, what if Russia kind of sort of likes itself in this state capitalist fashion and manner? What if Russia says no to modern monetary theory and and and, and no to running huge annual deficits and no to piling up unsustainable national debt, um, no, no to subsidizing workers to stay home? Um, what if it says no to uh, unaffordable inflation and energy prices? What if Russia just kind of sees itself uh, fundamentally different than the Western world? I mean, does the Western world have a right? I mean, obviously, we believe in liberties and freedoms. We believe in, in, in unleashing human capital, and I think the results speak for themselves. But, but do the Russians or do the Russians not deserve to elect the leader of their choice? Or do, do they, or must they elect the leader that America and the Western world says they must elect. And when you look at Washington, Washington is the um, all of a sudden the central planner of the world. I mean, we know it's the central planner of America, but Washington all of a sudden is the central planner of the world. It's 236 years old, and Moscow's been around 900 years, somewhere thereabout. Really? I mean, I just think there's an arrogance associated. I mean, I think Biden made a mistake, but Biden's always saying things because he has dementia. I mean, I'm not, I'm not medically trained, and if I were close enough to Biden, I couldn't um, diagnose whether or not he has. But I think most of us know he has some, um, some level of cognitive decline. Is it dementia or not? I don't have any idea. I got doctors in my life who say, well, you can tell the way he shuffles his feet that he has you know, early-onset dementia. may not be so early any longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he slurs a bunch of words. I mean, he gave a speech the other, was it Friday or Saturday? I think it was Friday. Yeah, Friday. Friday early in the morning. Yeah, but but he gives a speech and I mean he slurs his words and it's hard to follow and he has struggles, you know, pronouncing certain words and uh, the cadence or, or you know repetition of sentences is difficult for him. But but the one thing he says is you know but the one thing American leaders have said and I'm talking about Washington in general and this is bipartisan. I mean this is Republicans and Democrats. You know let's assassinate Vladimir Putin. Someone needs to put a bullet in his head. I read that over the weekend. You know, that there's a there's a, an American dignitary that publicly says someone should put a bullet, you know, one of the Russians should put a bullet in Vladimir Putin's head. Is that one of the 77% of Russians who voted for him? Well, it's a totalitarian regime. I mean, you know they don't have free and fair elections. How many Americans believe we had a free and fair election in 2020? I mean, we're real good at telling the world what's wrong with itself. We're, we're not very introspective and honestly evaluating where we stand. Let's go to the phone. We'll try Boudreaux again. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Oh, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I just went silent on my end a while ago. Listen, uh, Ken, you do a lot of speaking engagements, and I'm assuming that when you get called upon to do a speech, you're usually talking to a crowd of, you know, fairly like-minded people as yourself. Is that is that a fair statement? That's fair. Okay. Well, see, when I get booked for these comedy shows, I don't know till I get there. A lot of times, sometimes I'll look it up online or something. I don't always know. You know, could be all black crowd, could be an all white crowd, could be a bunch of millennial yuppie, you know, types. A couple of the places I've been, been I don't know if they were gay bars. They were definitely gay friendly bars, though. And I ain't judging. I, I try to make my shows relevant to wherever I'm at, and I always seem to do that. Well, I was up in Pendleton Saturday, and I pulled up to a 
security redneck bar. I'm talking about there's some Harleys out front, good-looking ones, too. A little small venue, a little small bar. They had a Trump 2020 flag hanging from the ceiling. Uh, they had some stars and bars, and they had a cardboard cutout of President Trump. <laughs> so in, early on in my set, I was the headliner, so I had as much time as I wanted. I pointed at Trump, and I said, what the hell is he doing here? <laughs> I thought I heard some guns cock, okay? <laughs> I heard click. Because <laughs> he needs to be in Washington running this damn country. And then I, they all put their guns back. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was so refreshing to be with my people. And to know that I didn't have people there that needed a safe space and a teddy bear if something didn't go their way. and uh, But, yeah, it, it was so refreshing because I don't always get that. Um, but the reason I really called, though, you're talking about putting, you know, people say we ought to shoot Putin. And and I, I'm I'm not being facetious here. I, seriously, when, when there's a mass shooter shooting out in a uh, whatever, a, a, a park or they go to a ball game and they're shooting people, we trust a police officer to make the decision that that guy's got to die right now. And I'm just wondering, on a global stage, when you see the kind of carnage that Putin is directing, is, is it really – and, again, I, I'm not trying to advocate, but at some point, isn't it the same thing to make the decision, well, that guy should not live any longer because of what he's doing? Because we'll certainly do it if a guy's shooting up a school or, you know, and, and as well we should. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts on on the global scale. Isn't it kind of the same thing that we can make that moral decision that that guy needs to die of lead poisoning in the head? Thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, the United States government polices the affairs of the United States of America, correct? That's right. I mean, the the, the, the courts and the law enforcement agencies and the government, some of they, they enforce a system of government, whether you like it or not, that we have to abide by. And there are punishments associated with certain crimes. Um, is it our job to do that around the world? I mean, I thought this was part of the Trump movement. The Trump doctrine is uh, it's not our job to police the world. Well, all of a sudden, when we see atrocities and human carnage and, and devastation, and I'm not condoning that. Please understand, I mean, I think Vladimir Putin is a butcher. I mean, I, you know, I would agree with what Biden says. My God, this man cannot remain in power. But is it, the, is it the role of the United States government or the president of the United States to go on the record and say those sorts of things? Do we have, um, I'm not talking about moral authority or, or ethical authority, but this is not a moral issue as far as I'm concerned. I mean, when the president says, basically, or suggests, let, let's, let's phrase it that way. When the president of the United States seems to suggest that regime change is in order, where does he get that authority from? I mean, obviously, he can express himself as he sees fit. And, and to me, what makes it extra dangerous is the guy he's talking about is sitting on a bunch of nuclear weapons. Well, I mean, but, but think of this, Rev. If he, he thinks he's at risk. He's historically said, and American presidents have historically said, we're not in the business of regime change. But Biden told you we are. I don't think anybody buys into that. I think the majority of our listeners understand that if given half a chance to affect the outcome in Ukraine, we would very much do so. The point I'm trying to make, and I think Boudreaux makes a very relevant argument or a very persuasive argument. Yes, I mean, when someone walks at a school in America and begins killing innocent people, we have a duty and an obligation via the, the system of law that we've implemented in our country. Does that, does that system of law also apply in foreign lands? I mean, because we've decided that this is our values and our system of government, and here's right and here's wrong, we get to implement that in places around the world?
We get to tell the Russian people who they can and cannot vote for? I mean, is that what we're kind of, is that where we're headed? I mean, that's very imperialistic to me. And that, I'm, I'm guarded about that. I, I'm very suspicious of that. I'm very guarded about that. It hadn't played real well in days gone by when we try to get involved in that. How's the Middle East working out? And I understand that Eastern Europe is different than the Middle East. Somebody made that fundamental argument one day last week, and I accept that Eastern Europe is fundamentally different than the Middle East. Maybe the people of Ukraine want to be free. Maybe they don't. I don't have any idea. Do you? I mean, Rev, can you honestly say that you know the sentiments and sensibilities of the people of Ukraine? No. I know this. They don't want Russia invading. I mean, that's obvious. The majority of Ukrainians have decided to stand and fight. That's the, the, the most evident example I need to see of they don't want Russia uh, invading or, or taking over their sovereign nation. But when the American president says, my God, this man cannot remain in power, based on what? Sheer human emotion? Or, or is there some system of government that's out there that I'm not aware of? We're not the world's police. We don't have the right to be the world's police. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Morning, Jeff. Uh, good morning, guys. Hey, Jeff. Um, You know, it, to, to kind of touch on what Ken was just saying, yeah, it does come across as extremely hypocritical of our government and all to go out abroad and say we're here to deliver democracy and freedom, but only if you do it our way. You know, and we have to keep in mind to some degree that it's the Victoria Newland type you know, that we sent out in Ukraine to kind of provoke the bear, I guess, to a certain degree. And we probably have a lot more to do with why Russia's in Ukraine than anyone's willing to admit publicly. You know, um, and we should keep in mind that as America, we've been at war for well over 20 years. We cost over 6 million lives abroad. And now we're talking about killing another foreign leader or invading a country. Yeah, it just—it all seems very hypocritical, and I think a lot of Americans would do well to kind of do a little self-assessment of who we are as a country and what our leaders have been doing over the last few decades or longer. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the call. And it seems to me, it seems to me that historically, when somebody like Lindsey or Sean Hannity or whomever, um, liberal or conservative, says, you know, my God, this man cannot remain in power, I'm not saying I disagree with that. I mean, when Biden says that, to be honest, I mean, we, we kind of like Trump when he said what he believed. So when Biden says, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have walked it back. I mean, if I'm the White House and Biden says, ad libbing, my God, this man cannot remain in power, I probably wouldn't have walked it back. But, but we've argued that we're not in uh, the regime-changing business. We are very much in the regime-changing business. America's very interested in affecting elections that suit our fancies. So stop saying we're not. And maybe, just maybe, Rev, this evolution of, of politics in America is allowing more and more people to be skeptical of what America's intent is. Do we believe America had anything to do with provoking Russia to invade Ukraine? Let me answer that for you. Yeah, absolutely we did. Do we have blood on our hands? Uh, that's a fair debate. But, but to suggest that we had nothing to do, what we're simply the... Uh, that the purveyor of goodness and goodwill around all provinces of mankind. And, you know, we would never involve ourselves in anything as diabolical as that. I mean, that's Russia and Ukraine. You know how those Eastern Europeans are. You know how those um, Asian nations are. You know how those Middle Easterners are. 
What about the Westerners? I mean, is there is there no guilt associated with Western value, Western culture at all? Really? I mean, I think it's, 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 a, it's a fundamental argument, and I think it has to be articulated and debated for our best interest. Are we blindly going to follow whatever the Western doctrine says and whatever America pre- presents as its priorities? I'm not. So when I look at Ukraine and Russia and someone says, we did nothing to provoke any of that, you, you don't know much about the history. We absolutely had a role in provoking Russia. I'm not defending the, kill us, the killing of innocent people. I'm not uh, con- con- you know, condoning the bombing of theaters. I mean, Putin is a rogue. He is a dictator. He is diabolical and maniacal and a butcher. But the Russian people voted for him. 843-661-0937. Back in just a minute. You know, I get above my pay grade here real quick, but a lot of this comes to the Bush Doctrine. The Bush Doctrine to Cheney, Rumsfeld, Cheney, excuse me, the others, uh, some of his foreign policy experts, they believe that this, this unipolar world of which American dominance reigned supreme and Europe's safety mechanism was indeed American dominance. And, you know, Russia's always believed in this multipolar war, uh, world where, where, you know, uh, superpowers compete with one another for authority and might, the ability to change and affect and influence. Um, I think the um, I think the Bush doctrine was very comfortable in Europe's security mechanism being America dominance. I mean, I really believe that. Um, I'm not a big fan of that, and I mean this gets in the weeds a bit. But there's a lot of um, there's a lot of essays out there you can read from people who know much more about this than I. But this is very intentional, and the Bush Doctrine, I would argue, has historically included this unipolar world in which American military and economic dominance reigned supreme. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Morning, Larry. Hey, good morning. So I guess my thing is we have to be careful how we say, well, we provoked this. I mean, if if France decided tomorrow to build a big... I don't know, airplane factory, and we decided that that was against our national interests, are we okay to invade them? I mean, if, if, if France were to start flirting with Russia and, and, and start leaning communist, but they wanted it, would we, would we be able to invade them and say, well, that's against the Western world's interests and since France is right in the middle of Europe because their location, they don't have the right to decide that for themselves. It seems to me, and I know that I think along the way we probably – we probably went sour in Ukraine with some corruption and some bad money moving to people who didn't deserve it. But at the end of the day, if Ukraine is a sovereign nation, and they are because the USSR lost them fair and square when they collapsed. They failed. They lost, and they lost Ukraine. Well, now Ukraine starts getting a little more pro-Western for whatever reason, and Russia decides it's against their national best interest for them to be so, so they just invade. Well, my thing is, is it's kind of like with the right to life. When you threaten my right to life, you lose yours. And so as a sovereign nation, when Russia threatens and invades and destroys another nation's sovereignty, they lose their sovereignty. They lose their right to protect their leaders and to be part of a, a global community, which, like it or not, we are. But here's the thing. The further east you go in the world, the less they care about sovereignty and the more they care about power. And so their thing is, is no, you don't deserve to govern your country unless you're strong enough to protect it from the next strongest person. 
which is the reaction that causes American dominance, because we say, all right, well, we'll be that strong person that can protect it. So we're kind of stuck in, in two ways of thinking, but I think at the end of the day, I don't think you can say, well, the girl was wearing a short skirt, so she deserved to get what she had coming to her. You can't say, well, Ukraine acted in a way that clearly threatens Russia's best interest because it wasn't militarily threatening them. It wasn't pointing new guns at Moscow. They just were moving towards a more pro-Western line of thinking. That doesn't directly threaten US, I mean, Russia's existence. So I don't feel like there was anything justifiable in what they did, regardless of what we did. It's like saying, well, you know, you shouldn't walk around with your money in your hand. That's why you got robbed. You should have put it in your wallet and hid it. Okay, yeah, that, common sense is true, but the bigger wrong is that stealing is wrong. So you can't say, well, the thief is, is forgiven because you let him know you were an easy target. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. Um, this is an interesting debate, and good callers make for interesting debate. Let's go to the phone. Do we have time? Uh, Rick in Sumter listening to DXY. Hello, Rick. Hey, good morning. Hey, Rick. Hey, man, Ken, sometimes, you know, I don't agree with you. Most of the time I do. But this morning I was high-fiving you. <laughs> um, you're absolutely spot on. And just as I usually do, put it in a historical perspective, we Americans forget about the law of unintended consequences. And way back, you know, we used to have a bunch of Iranian cadets at the Citadel, and they were good guys. One thing I learned about them, if you, they are Persians. If you call one an Arab, they're going to fight you. But we came out strongly, you know, get rid of their – we supported their dictator. That led to the hostage crisis, and now look at the problems we still got with Iran due to us meddling in their internal affairs. Flash forward, there was a bad dictator in Iraq. But the only thing is, he was secular. He was not radical Islamist. We got rid of him and how we actually improved that situation. And, you know, we need to mind our dang business. That's deal with, let those people deal with their own. And I think history shows that clearly. Rick. Hey, Rick, you can hang on and we'll get back to you. We got to take a break. Hard break, top of the hour. We're back in just a minute. I want to go back to some of this Bush doctrine because the Bush doctrine, in my humble opinion, is a, is a doctrine that is based solely upon, not solely, but largely upon a, a political and economic belief that in a unipolar world, American dominance, even European, the European security mechanism will by default be America. And America embraced that. What did Trump do when he got elected? He wanted NATO, the NATO member nations, to increase the military spending to a, to a level they agreed upon. See, I never believed that the Bush Doctrine or the Cheney Rumsfelds of the world actually wanted NATO, the NATO member nations, as long as they were not spending as they promised on military, the, the, it would be kind of a default. I mean, America would be the default position. We'd have to secure some of the European interest. But, but when, when someone tells me, and I had this twice last week, that um, you know, I'm proud to be an American because we are doing this in the name of liberty and freedom and, and human atrocity. We're not going to stand idly by and watch human atrocities happen. Um, South Sudan, Mozambique, Ethiopia, why are we not as interested in some of the civil wars, some of the bloodbaths that are happening in some of those African nations? I can tell you why. Because there's not political nor economic interest at stake. And, and let's accept that as reality. We're not innocent in any of these affairs. I mean, America is a very um, motivated nation. It's a, um, I would argue, Rev, that the imperial 
the, the imperialism that was a big part of the Bush doctrine has led to a point where people are reluctant to be more involved in the policing. And, and it goes back to this multipolar, a unipolar. And, um, but, yeah, I do believe. I mean, someone texted me a second ago. I do believe that the, the Rumsfeld Cheneys of the world would rather the NATO member nations not fulfill their obligations and by default – the United States has to step in because that way we get to make the ground rules. We get to create the game plan. We get to be in charge of whatever happens. But for those who say this is all about brave Ukrainians fighting for their sovereignty, it may be in Ukraine, but that's not America's involvement. America's involvement to some degree is based on, you know, um, people trying to adopt more liberty and freedoms in their lives, living a more Western way of life. But but I mean if we were if we were so concerned by human atrocity we would have we'd be much more involved in South Sudan Mozambique Ethiopia Yemen some of these other places that are just I mean horrific in the number of people who have been killed um, by you know dictators and authoritarian governments but I I think we're incredibly naive to not believe that a lot of this is to weaken Russia because if we weaken if we weaken Russia. Um, we, we're more likely to live in this, in this unipolar existence. Now, you know, the Russia, we know the, the, the Moscow Beijing dynamic and how America is grappling with that economic and political reality. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Darlington. Good morning. You're on the air. Morning, guys. Um, this is, this is some golden stuff that y'all are delving into today. You know, this is, it's kind of discussion we need about uh, American foreign policy and the, the Washington insider kind of, you know, establishment uh, view of themselves as the as having the right or even they think they have the duty to police the world and so forth. And uh, gosh, it's the thing we need to be looking at and. Uh, and thank goodness people are starting to look at it. And I would recommend, you know, books like Legacy of Ashes, A History of the CIA, for example. But there's a, there's a lot, there's obviously a lot of propaganda being put out uh, to whip up uh, public opinion against Russia. And, and you got all these people calling for us to get involved military, I mean, get involved with boots on the ground you know, or planes in the air. Um, one one uh, thing that I read over the weekend on Consortium News, an article by Joel Lauria, and in it uh, he cites a couple of articles that have come out last week, one in Newsweek and the other in U.S. News and World Report, is where the people in, insiders in the Pentagon have leaked out and uh, – some information um, that the mainstream media, you know, the New York Times and those guys would not carry. But what it was is that that Putin is not actually killing as many people as he can in Ukraine, and he is sort of holding off. And one of the the leakers said that uh, the interior of Kiev or Kiev is virtually untouched. I mean, they are not actually trying to bombard the interior of Kiev, and they are, they seem to be holding off of uh, destroying infrastructure. Um, 
the 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 uh, slowdown of movement towards you know some cities. It it looks like maybe it's not because they they've been stopped or they can't do it, but because they don't want to uh, to inflict uh, unlimited casualties. So I you know this it's a it's a time when uh, in in scripture it says um, let's see what. And Ephesians says, uh, uh, "Be circumspect. Uh, walk, walk. Uh, do not be circumspect, but but wise. Um, uh, redeeming the time for the days are evil. You know, it's time to to think and realize nobody's perfect, and and you know, but uh, and there's a lot of misinformation, and we we got to be discerning about what we believe." Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. You know, one of the most interesting parts of this debate is that the belief, and I think you would agree, Rev, that Biden is a product of Washington. I mean, he's never had a job in the real world. Been there forever. I mean, he's, he's, you know, when you think about this, this is very unusual to me. Prior to Bill Clinton getting elected president, he never had a private sector job. Prior to Barack Obama getting elected, he never had a private sector job. And prior to Joe Biden getting elected, he never had a private sector job. So you had, you know, eight years of Clinton, eight years of of Obama, 16 years and four years of, uh, of Biden. We'll have at least 20 years of governance by one political party of which the candidates had zero experience in the private sector. And and when you when you live in the public sector that long, you adapt and adopt some of these I don't know, fundamental beliefs that aren't that, that, that aren't based on reality. And I think, you know, Sam touches on some of this, and you know some of the debates that Sam and I have had, the, some of the disagreements we've had. Um, Rick and I have had some fundamental disagreements over the year. Larry and I have some over the year. And, and I don't know that we all agree here. I mean, this is a very interesting and entailed subject. But, but the one thing that I – here's my grave concern. Once again, as a human being – as a as a compassionate Christian, I am bothered enormously by the visuals I see of innocent people fleeing their homes from their sovereign nation because they're afraid their house is going to get blown up and their family get killed. I mean, there's a human side of this that you can't escape. And the media does a real good job of preying on those human emotions to garner some sort of reaction that may or may not lead uh, to government action. But, but the, the couple of things that have to be on the table this time that maybe or maybe not uh, were on the table in previous times is the question of America decline. That there's still a belief in America by the, the old hands, those who have been there forever, who believe in, I mean, I, the Bush doctrine is not the only doctrine that believes in American expansionism. I mean, it really and truly, if you wanted to be provocative, you could say this is Russian expansionism meets American expansionism. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys, because we're always the good guy and they're always the bad guy. I mean, if it was a, a an issue of morality and ethics and human, uh, you know, it's all about human, the tragic loss of human life, we'd be in South Sudan, we'd be in Mozambique, we'd be in Ethiopia. But the reality is those people can be slaughtered because they don't serve our economic or political interest. I'm sorry, that's just a reality. That means we don't care. But what are we doing in the name of protecting the innocent? Nothing. We're not doing anything uh, when it comes to involving ourselves in, in, in those sorts of affairs. So for those to say this is the American thing to do, and you're saying it as if we're just altruistic, and, and you know, we're, we're doing it in the name of human decency and kindness, no, I think that's a guise 
that has been used historically. But here's the point we got to put on the table that I think should concern all of us. I believe that the question of American decline is a reality. I think we are a nation in decline. When you look at some of the realities, politically, economically, structurally, I think we are a nation in decline. I'll include morals in this. Um, when a when a female, when an African American female is um, put up for nomination for the U.S. Supreme Court simply because she's an African American female, and how do we know that? I mean, that's not me speculating. Joe Biden said, if given the chance to put someone on the U.S. Supreme Court, it is going to be an African American female. So we find an African-American female who can't define what a woman is. So there is some moral decline, decay, and decadence involved in this. But the question of American decline, here's the problem. Here's my grave concern. When I look at the ballot sheet and I look at the prospectus of America, it's not very positive. I mean, if it were a stock, you'd probably short it. If it were an investment, you probably wouldn't make it. If it were either or, you would probably take the either than, you know, th- than to invest in uh, America. Because, I, once again, we've been careless and reckless. And I could go down the road of deficit spending and, um, you know, the, the fundamental breakdown of how we govern ourselves and by, you know, the lack of bipartisanship. And one side says it's, it's the other side's fault. But we are, in general, in decline. I mean, I don't know how you debate that. Are, are we... Is, is America irredeemably bad? No, I don't buy that for a second. I think the notion, the idea, the concept of America is as good as it ever has been. We've abused the right to govern ourselves as um, our founders suggested that we do. We don't govern ourselves like that any longer. Once again, I said earlier this morning, and I'll say it again, um, we are a nation of rulers, not laws. Our politicians like to be rulers. They like to make more and more and more laws, have more and more and more control. I think that leads to American decline instead of, as John McCain coined, American exceptionalism. I've never been a big fan of American exceptionalism. Who are we to think we are exceptional? I think the, the, the founding concept and premise and notion of our nation is exceptional, but I think we've squandered much of, um, much of those prerequisites but, but when you look at what Washington believes we're capable of, I mean, we can, we can basically fund and foot the bill of the NATO nations. And, and I, I believe that. I think when Trump went, when Trump got elected and Trump realized that mem- many members of, the NATO, of NATO were not honoring their share of the obligation they made. In other words, 2% of all your GDP is to be spent on military spending. And we found that there was a, I think Germany is at 1%. I think Italy was at 0.6%. I think France was at point, you know, eight four percent The majority of these countries were spending about half what they were supposed or obligated to via um, some of the uh, language of NATO or being a member of NATO. So when Trump gets elected, he says, you know, we're not going to foot the bill any longer. I mean, we're not going to carry the weight. We're not going to be um, the police of the world, so to speak. See, I think the rumsfeld Cheney's. And, and the Bidens of the world, the, the Obamas of the world, the Clintons of the world, the Bushes of the world, those who have been so ingrained and entrenched in the way Washington thinks, I think they like the fact that NATO didn't honor its obligations because by default, 
America becomes Europe's security mechanism. Gave us more power and sure. influence. And we embraced that opportunity every chance we got. So what if we've got the um, deficit spend to the tune of a trillion dollars? As long as we're building this enormous military with unbelievable capacities. Well, I think we, we're, we're now looking and, and there's, there's Beijing there and there's the Middle East there. And now we've got Russia and Ukraine. And what is Putin going to do? Or what is Putin not going to do? And I think if you're honest with yourself, you look at the balance sheet of America and you say, wow, we're spread pretty thin. I mean, could we indeed fight on different fronts or multiple fronts if forced to? What if, what if we did further engage in, um, in Ukraine? What, what if we did commit even more resources in Ukraine? Then, then how do we fend off you know, Beijing, if China decides that now is the time to take on Taiwan, because once again, what have we said? Can't let that happen, right? I mean, we've decided we can't let that happen. Um, now, the Western world kind of obliges, but I mean, they fall in line. But but here's the, because you asked a second ago, uh, one of the, I mean, this is the interesting question in all of this debate. Um, and, and it's a little bit like the, the, the barbershop scene in coming to America. Remember the barbershop scene in Coming to America where they're talking about the greatest fighter ever? And the Jewish guy says, what about Rocky Marciano? And Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy, who play all those characters in the barbershop, say, yep, that's their boy. You can't talk boxing with a white man without them bringing up Rocky Marciano. And that's kind of one of the, um, it's, it's one of the catchphrases, one of the funniest scenes that I've ever seen in any movie. And, and the, the comedic genius of Murphy is on full display as he plays all these characters. But but it's a little bit like, think of this. Um, that's their boy. You can't talk boxing with a white man without bringing up Rocky Marciano. Um, I got buddies of mine who say, that's Larry Bird. I mean, that's their guy. You know, you talk basketball with a white guy, it won't be less than three minutes. He's going to bring up the name Larry Bird. Um, and there's humor in there. I mean, there's no racism involved in any of that. It's all humorous. Rocky Marciano was a great boxer. Larry Bird was a great basketball player. Um, in an age and era where most of the great basketball players are African-American, most of the great boxers are African-American. I mean, it's just a reality. It's, it's not a political. I've enjoyed that commercial, by the way, that's playing with Bird and Magic. Yeah. Been playing during the they Got old and fat. Both of them got old and big. Well, Let me yeah. say that, old and big. <laughs> there, there you go. See, we, we all tend to get older. But it's fun to see it. It's, it's very fun to see that. But, but so so you brought up the, the name. I mean, here, here's the name that the um, – the military-industrial complex can always refer to, and it's the great unknown. Is this the next Hitler? Is Putin the next Hitler? Is Xi the next Hitler? Is is um the leader of this country the next Hitler? Uh, is the is the dictator of South Sudan the next Hitler or Hitler? Um, I don't know that, but but I mean, is that do we confront every single foreign affairs issue that the world ever proposes or presents as if they were Adolf Hitler? I mean, really? I mean, is that is that we're going to base all of our fundamental strategies and all of our foreign policy, um, what what we do or don't do, this could be the next Hitler. Because the counter argument would be, well, what if it is? I mean, what if it, what if Putin is essentially um, on a track? At some point in time, common sense enters the equation, and somebody like me says he can't whip Ukraine. But he thought he had this advanced and um, and developed uh, military. I mean, you know, we were told, how many times have we been told that this guy could be the next Hitler or that person could be the next Hitler? 
Um, is that going to be the, the kind of excuse to end all excuses? In other words, we better intervene because we know what happened in the late 30s and early 40s. We better intervene because this could be the next Adolf Hitler. This could be the next, you know, we could have the next Holocaust on our hands. Uh, and we know the genocide and human tragedy. I mean, just the evil. I mean, just the absolute human evil on display in that. But because of what happened in the Second World War and, and the Holocaust and, and, and Nazi Germany, we're going to just kind of base every military decision we ever make because most people say exactly what you just said. At coffee shops, at diners, at ball games, at tailgates, most people say, you better do something. You know what happened in the 40s? I mean, is that really is that? Are we going to have a debate about military involvement or not that unsophisticated? And historically, that's kind of what we've done. What, what, what was the great saying about, you know, uh, when we were told we better go to Iraq, we better go to Afghanistan. You remember the old, um, I'd rather fight them over there than fight them over here. The, the point I'm trying to make, and I think Larry made the point, Rick made the point, Sam made the point, blind faith in your leaders will get all of us killed. Let me say that again. Blind faith in your leaders will get all of us killed. Do not have blind faith in your leaders. Look under the hood. A bit. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Mondays to make Fridays. Couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Mike in Darlington. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, good morning. Um, you always have an interesting uh, topic that I, if I just listen to for a minute, I get hooked on it. But um, they, they, I, I think, I think you made an important point. None of those people had real world experience. And most of them were established liars and crooks. I mean, and we've known we've known that uh, Biden was a crook since he was he, he was a senator. And uh, before then, we knew he was a plagiarist, which is nothing more than intellectual theft. Uh, the uh, and we keep uh, nominating. We're not paying attention. We send these unscrupulous, unskilled people to lead us. And it doesn't take a great actor to know that they are bad actors and they're going to do whatever they can get away with. And and uh, in that sense, depending on what their objectives are, just like Putin. Now, Putin is a more serious type and dangerous person, but I, I would contend that Biden is every bit as dangerous because of his bumbling and his, he's just a not a smart man, as Boris Gump would say. Uh, he would uh, he he's done these things, but there seems to be a trend, and they're following. They all belong to the same church, and this this church is not a Christian church. I don't know what kind, but I don't think it's a good church because it is. They are methodically. Every last one of them are trying to destroy the small businessman and the everyday worker, the 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 semi-skilled and skilled workers that have uh, businesses and careers. There, it's like there's a war on the on the middle class and the working class of this country. There's a war on the people that want to strive to get it and. And, and make a little bit of money over the years. There's, they just want everything to be controlled by two or three corporations. We get two or three big corporations, and they can all uh, they can they they can build cars, but everybody else get out of the business. 
same way with uh, cereal or bread or whatever it is. They there, there is a, a a steady beat of running and regulating, and the way they do it is they regulate small businesses out of the picture, where it's impossible to do business as a as a small businessman or as a startup, a small startup. You can't build it out of your garage, you know, and. Uh, Waits wants to make it impossible for someone to do what he did, and that and uh, supports those type of people. And uh, uh, Jobs uh, essentially uh, subscribed to the same thing. He wanted to make it impossible for anyone to come in there and uh, make uh, um, uh, create a whole new genre of, uh, of devices that would change uh, basically the world we live in. These people are not nice people. They're anti-creative. They're anti-diversity. They want everyone to dress in the same prescribed colors from the same fashion book. They want them to act a certain way. That is not right. And I'm a believer in individualism. But this fluidity stuff where I can come out there, well, I might do it right now. I'm going to claim to be Oprah. Well, if I am, uh, will will that give me access to her bank account? I don't think so. I think I'd be in big trouble if I tried to go that far. But everything else, you can change your sex. You can change your species. You can change your uh, race. All you got to do is claim it. And that is... That it's it's insanity. It's like we have an insanity virus that's running around the world, and there's new iterations of it uh, with every every few years, sometimes within several months. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. I will go to the next call in just a second. Um, you ever heard these two names, Rev? I'm just going to ask you because you mm-hmm. probably have not. I'm sure you have not. Uh, Newland Pyatt. Nope. There's a um, there's several phone calls that um, that were bugged, and the majority of these phone conversations were between um, U.S. diplomats and Ukrainian officials in the 2014 election. It's fairly well documented, and we don't know this because we're American. We don't do anything like this. It's only the other countries that do these sorts of things. But we got intimately involved. In the 2014 Ukrainian election, had a pro-Russia candidate and then a pro-NATO candidate. And it would probably amaze you. Well, probably not if you're cynical as I am. It would probably astound a lot of you out there to know how involved America was in making sure the pro-NATO candidate won over the pro-Russia candidate. So when, when we begin, and I guess the point I'm trying to make, and once again, I'm not defending anything Putin's done. I mean, Putin invaded a sovereign nation and has killed innocent people, and and he'll be dealt with accordingly at some point in time if if the um, if the verdict reaches its conclusion. But but to to believe that this is all about a a brutal dictator and nothing else is just I mean it, it's it's misleading. It's insincere. It's dishonest. Um, we have meddled in the affairs of Ukraine since the end of the Soviet Union in 1991. We propped up governments. We've led um, political campaigns. And th- there are these bugged phone conversations uh, between U.S. diplomats and some of the pro-NATO candidates and campaigns in 2014. We were as involved in that election as Zuckerberg was in ours. Let's go to the phone. Here is Breeze. Morning, Breeze. 
Hey, guys. Um, you know, um, I was thinking over the weekend, I said, you know, I really wish that the that we could blame what's going on on incompetence because that would at least mean that they're trying to do what's right. But then it dawned on me also, you know, I always was under pressure. You've heard me say this. I'll get mad at Republicans for being sissies. Well, maybe the Republicans aren't incompetent either, kid. Maybe the Democrats started the Republicans are incompetent, and the people that are running them are not incompetent. And so, you see where I'm going? Sure, I do. No, no, there's no good guys here. There's no good guys. There's nobody that just gives a crap about us. You know what I mean? The reason things didn't get done. Not because of Republican incompetence when Trump was president and the Republicans had to sit at the House. It was because of Republican competence. They didn't want things to get done. When the Republicans don't fight back against the Democrats, is it because of Republican incompetence? Or is the fact that they're being very competent and that's their plan? You see where I'm going? I'm at the point now where I don't trust a damn one of them. You know, and then there again, there's no scenario I could ever see where I agree with Sean Penn. And, but I notice everybody's trying to put the president of Ukraine, make him into some sort of a god. But it does, you know, and they talk about the, but they just like the suffering of the people. But is it really about the president of Ukraine or is it about the people of Ukraine? Because these Russian soldiers don't want to be there either. You see what I'm saying? So, again, it's bad politicians causing their people to suffer on every side of the aisle and every former, and every former government there. And then, you know, I was looking also over the weekend. You know, it takes over a month for oil to make it here from the Middle East on a tanker. And then you look at the amount of gas that they have to burn to get here. You know, and, and again, then they try to tell you this is about the environment. But it takes like, you know, out of steamship from Russia, I think, takes 27 days or so. Then it sits in port. Then it gets trucked around from these ports for trucks, which burn more diesel. So then they tell you this is about the environment. Well, just use your brain a little bit, liberals, and everybody else. They're lying to you. Again, they're lying. There'll be a lot less environmental damage from oil drilled in America that's being shipped by pipelines that oil drilled in Saudi Arabia and Russia that is sent across the, um, the world in ships burning diesel fuel. I mean, everything about them is just a total lie on both sides, guys. A total flipping lie. Every damn bit of it. And, it, you know, and, and it's hard to pick which government. I support both people. Well, which government are you going to choose? The, the Ukrainian government, maybe because they're just a little less corrupt than the Russian government. You know, the American government, because it's just a little bit less corrupt than the Canadian government. You see where I'm going? Yeah, well, you sound like I Churchill mean, of all the bad ideas. This is the best. Yeah, I mean, you ain't got a damn what. Yeah, there's not a good idea in the crowd, brother. Show it to good player. There's not a single leader in the world today that's that old worth a fart in a hurricane. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. Let me think about this, guys. I mean, do we really believe that the people of Russia – want this the, i mean obviously the people of ukraine don't want this i mean th this is i mean we become and i said a nation earlier i said a nation of rulers not of laws we've kind of become a world of of rulers and not laws 
and and I don't know. I'm thinking about Chris Rock and um, Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah, from last night. And I think that was staged and phony. And you kind of agree with me now mm-hmm. after seeing some of the video. I mean, it looks like the the pal, you know, the Batman, the old Batman episodes when. I'm not sure he actually connected. Don't yeah, know, but well, it, I mean, it looked kind of like yeah. WWF or NWA or the old Jim Crockett promotions back in the good days. But um, anyway, uh, when ratings suck, you got to do something to get <laughs> people's attention. And maybe and they we're got. talking about yeah, it. I mean, it worked. I mean, that's kind of the uh, imagine the level at which they'll stoop to make sure, you know. They uh they they get notoriety and attention, but but we're not. I mean, this is, you know, we have convinced ourselves that we are a nation of laws. I'm arguing that we're a nation of rulers now. I mean, I don't know the the goings on in Moscow. I don't understand the relationship the Russian people have with its um state capitalist government or communist government. I'm I'm certainly not uh, a historian. I'm not a scholar. I'm not. I've not been to Moscow and tried to understand the nuances and, and intricacies of its government and how it's relating. Um, but but I understand, I think, to some degree, the Western world and the American government. And when you look at COVID and some of these other scenarios of which the government has had to deal with, it's hard to argue that we're a nation of law. What law was passed to print, you know, $6 trillion and give it to people, you know, in the public and private sector? Who wins? Who loses? Uh, I mean, that, that was rulers. That was rulers in action, rulers making orders. Um, you know, it's funny now because inflation is all of a sudden Vladimir Putin's uh, problem. It's his, you know, he's responsible for the hyperinflation that the American consumer is having to deal with. Um, who in Russia stopped Americans from growing um, wheat or from um, raising chickens or cattle or uh, nobody, nobody at all? Um, what's stopping the American economy from being independent? I mean, is it is it we the people? No, it, it's our it's our rulers. I mean, our rulers have dictated the terms and conditions of which we conduct economic affairs, and those economic affairs have become more and more complicated. Uh, why? Because if we can complicate things here in America, we have to buy in this globalism. And when I see the dignitaries and I see these unbelievably important global leaders meeting for an unbelievably important summit. Uh, in Brussels, and Joe Biden's there. I mean, they, these people are the ones who have brought you the world that we all live in. How's that working out for most of us? I mean, there are a couple of happy places around the world, but by and large, the public is unbelievably disenchanted with its political leadership. But we continue to look to political leadership for the solutions of the problems of which the political leadership created. What did Vladimir Putin do to make us not produce as much food? What did Vladimir Putin do to make us not produce as much energy? What did Vladimir Putin do to make us question whether or not our elections are legitimate or not? What did Vladimir Putin do to convince us spending $30 trillion we don't have is in our best interest? I mean, we can farm out blame to a certain degree, but at the end of the day, we've decided the fate and future of this country, and we've elected these these lawmakers to become rulers, and I said earlier, and I'll say it again, 569 rules, excuse me, 569 government agencies in one single state in uh, in California that passed over 1,000 new rules during COVID. But that's not, we're not a nation of laws any longer. We're a nation of rulers, and the rulers make the rules, and we obey the rules or we don't. And when the rules don't work out well, they say, well, the reason we don't have any food 
this Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. <laughs> the reason we uh, you're paying four dollars a gallon for gasoline is Vladimir Putin invaded. Um, well, I mean, if our dependency, if we are indeed the preeminent superpower on the planet, and our safety and security rest in the hands of a Russian dictator and a neighboring nation, formerly a part of the Soviet Union, that we need to reevaluate where we are and how we're conducting the affairs of our country. Seriously. I mean, if our food supply is so dependent on what happens in Ukraine and Russia, our energy supply is so dependent on what happens in a precarious part of the world of which we have really and truly no control over, then we need to evaluate how we're governing ourselves and what sort of leaders we put in positions of influence and sway. Take a break. Back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, if I'm not mistaken. Mike Rickenbaugh will be with us in the next hour. Mm -hmm. Um, In the 8 o'clock hour, Mike Rickenbaugh, Senate candidate, Senate District 31, winner of the Republican primary. Uh, A couple of uh, months or so, a little better than a month, a couple of months ago, um, will be in the studio with us in the 8 o'clock hour. And the Democrat candidate will be with us in the 9 o'clock hour, if I'm not mistaken. Rev texted me uh, Friday and said both are scheduled to appear today, one of the 8 o'clock hour, the other in the 9 o'clock hour. Um, One will probably more friendly, uh, will be friendlier received uh, than the other, but um, all opinions and voices and candidates are certainly um, welcomed here. And tomorrow is the special election, right? Uh, Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow is the election for Senate District um, 31, Republican Mike Rickenbaugh versus Democrat Suzanne La Rochelle, if I'm not mistaken, or La Rochelle. Uh, We'll find out how to properly pronounce her name when she gets here at the 9 o'clock hour, but Mike Rickenbaugh will be with us scheduled uh, in the eight o'clock hour, I, I want to ask you this, Reb. Have, have have has America in any way, shape, or form provoked Russia to? I don't want to say invade Ukraine, but to respond in any way, shape, or form. Is there any provocation here that the Americans um, share some complicity or blame in? Mm. Uh, well, I mean, in, no, in, in November of twenty twenty one. Um, the U.S. and Ukraine signed a charter on strategic partnership, which asserted America's support for Kiev's right to pursue membership in NATO. That could be considered oh, that's always provocative. Been. Well, I mean, sure it is. I mean, absolutely it is. Um, well, that's the embracement of Western values. Ukraine has a right to embrace Western values. Sure they do. Absolutely they do. Um, and America giving strategic advice. And we know the history, the superpower complex. Uh, that, that this former Soviet Union and Russia. I mean, to me, when, when, when you have a former KGB agent running a former superpower and the, the, the superpower left standing engages in a, a parcel of land that was formerly a part of the Soviet Union and supports very strategically and asserts American support um, in the capital of the nation, the sovereign nation, that is now not a part of the Soviet Union because there is no Soviet Union any longer. I mean, how does the KGB agent not can take some offense to legitimately that? Legitimately consider that a threat? Sure, he can. Can he? I mean, at least a crowding. I mean, you know, a threat. I mean, I, we 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 all got to admit. I think we will. I mean, the, the 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 most patriotic American listening to my voice today would would ultimately have to admit that America's crowded Vladimir Putin and Russia. 
I mean, I'm not defending. Once again, I've had a text a second ago. So you're defending what Putin's doing? No, I'm not in any way, shape, or form defending the slaughtering of innocent people. I mean, I think this is um, this is the great. I mean, he, I don't know that Putin has many great regrets, but I mean, I think his greatest regret is. I mean, he's, I think he's living his greatest regret right now because not only is he going to be isolated, he's going to be deeply embarrassed because we're finding out now in the first person that the, the Russian military is nowhere near as strong as we assumed or imagined it was. Maybe some of the military intelligence uh, that, that we've garnered over the years uh, relating to Russia led us to believe that if we could coax or lure Russia into invading Ukraine, in other words, if we would begin crowding Russia, provoking Russia, the former KGB agent would not be able to restrain himself and he'll invade Ukraine, and some of the military experts, some of the uh, behind-the-scenes operatives knew that Russia was going to fail miserably in asserting itself in Ukraine. I mean, these are things, we're not innocent in these affairs, guys. We're very active. I mean, we're very involved in this. Whether we've got boots on the ground or not, we are a very strategic alliance in the affairs of Ukraine. And, And once again, if we loved the Ukraine people, And if our motivation was because the slaughtering of Ukrainians is something that Western values and America being the shining city on a hill cannot tolerate, then why aren't we in South Sudan? Why are we not in Ethiopia? Why are we not in Mozambique? Because we have political interests and economic interests in certain places, and we don't in certain others. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. So is the slap real or not, Rev? Have you concluded? I have not been able to tell. Because you've watched several times. I've watched you pay close, close attention (laughs) to whether or not the slap is real. See, I'm arguing that the Academy Awards ratings are so bad, you take big stars and you create conflict within the big stars, and next thing you know, you've got a story that carries over for for longer than a day. I I thought it was real, uh, but the more I've watched it, it could be a Hollywood slap. Don't know. Yeah, could have been. Uh, I think it may have been. We'll find out as the day progresses. Hey, I want to go back real quick before we get our next guest. Got a couple of guests here um, that have uh, endeared themselves to this community since they've been here and now in a different role than um, than um, give Mike a try on television trying <laughs> to sell automobiles. But I want to go back to this real quick because I think it's, it's important that we do this. We here are fairly conservative Republicans. There's a movement within American politics in general that, that is kind of non-interventionist. And, and I think to understand the complexities of intervention, in other words, how many think tanks are involved in this? How many foreign policy experts have been paid a lot of money to convince the American public this is right or this is wrong? And, and I want to reiterate, the point I try to make this morning and have tried to make for the first couple of hours, um, my God, this man cannot remain in power. I think there are many, many, many Americans who believe in the notion of that statement, but are we a nation that has the right to suggest or dictate, that's a better word, to dictate to other nations who is allowed to be in power or who is not? What if the next leader of France is someone, Rev, that we don't approve of? Or the next German chancellor is someone that doesn't meet the mustard of President Trump or President Biden or President Harris or President Pence or whomever the next American president is. What are, um, I mean, we know our responsibilities, but but where are the guardrails that police America when it comes to um, dictating the terms and conditions of which neighboring nations are allowed to govern themselves? We've got to be careful there. 
that's the point I'm trying to make. We got to be real careful there. And I say it, and I'll say it again. The Bush doctrine was by and large a doctrine based on unipolarity. In other words, we are the preeminent superpower. There's not a rival. Therefore, if Europe needs its security checked, then we are by default the mechanism of which we'll address whatever security issue there is around the world. And I don't know that I'm real cool with that. I'm, I'm more bothered and worried about that than I am um, <sighs> delegating some of those ultimate responsibilities out to different and varying places around the world. Now, once again, I think I can argue that Putin is a dictator and he should be dealt with accordingly and still disagree that it's not our right nor responsibility to say who gets to lead what nation around the world. So in closing, I had a two-hour conversation about something I didn't think we could get off the ground on a Monday morning. Thanks to our callers. You guys have added a lot of flavor uh, to the conversation. Hey, Mike Rickenbaugh is with us, and Sharice Rickenbaugh are with us. Both are. I'll spin a microphone here if you want to say something. Um, I was always a better candidate with my wife in the room than um, than I was without my <laughs> wife in the room. And, uh, and Mike, you seem to be uh, admitting that that's the case with you as well. I'm a much better man with her in the room. <laughs> and in my life, 25 years of that, I learned that the hard way. Good deal. You came to this community, uh, embraced this community, this community embraced you. And, and somewhere down the road, you decided to be um, involved in politics. Uh, run for the Senate seat. You win that primary in the Republican primary. You've got an election tomorrow against a lady who I think will be here in the 9 o'clock hour. Am I right, Rip? Um, yep. But but explain coming here, being involved, and eventually asking the people to support you in a political capacity. Oh, boy. Uh, 2008, uh, for some wild idea, Sharice and I, you know, <laughs> we're buying dealerships in 2008, Ken, and you were in business, but at least you were— you know business. Oh, so yeah. 08 was a tough year to, to figure out. Let's invest <laughs> it wasn't every, much fun. I every penny we have into a business. But Sharice and I felt we were um, called here. Um, our kids were young, but we looked in, over the entire United States. Where did we want to settle? And we flew to Florence, South Carolina and said, we're going to settle here. And the, we really had cast the net anywhere. Uh, it's been incredible. We love this community, love being here. Uh, what used to be the, the legacy Horn Ford dealership uh, is now Mike Rickenball Ford, and that grew to Mike Rickenball Volkswagen and Mike Rickenball Chevy. Um, fast forward 2015, 2016, after the dealerships were doing well, there was some, some legislation that dealt with dealers. So I found myself in the General Assembly um, several times, uh, many, many times with a bunch of dealers paying attention. And that was the first time ever paying attention to the process. Voted, but never paid attention that intimately to the process in the General Assembly and realized that there could be a place for business-minded people. True conservatives wanted small government but believed in Christian core conservative values um, with the business acumen. Understand a balance sheet. Understand a P&L. Understand health care costs. Understand what it takes to create jobs. And quite frankly, understand what it's like to lay awake at night and say, I might lose everything. And if we lose everything, we're going to have to lay off a hundred people and what that does to their families. And there's an element to that that I think needs to be in government uh, to speak to the business community and how to create jobs and how to keep them there. Mike, you and I started having a lunch every now and then about a year ago. And, and, and we talked politics and I could, I could sense in you a warning or a willingness to put your name on a ballot at some point in time for some office. We talked about a myriad of opportunities, potential opportunities. One thing that you and I agreed with um, was the the state was growing like crazy. Our hometown was not. 
And and we didn't point a finger at one particular individual or say, hey, if I can only do this or if I get a chance to do that. But um, but but so, was some of your motivation? Uh, I, I don't want to say the old guard. That's unfair here because every community has an old guard, and we pay respect and tribute to the old guard. But I sensed in you a, a wanting to try and have your shot to see if we can help grow this economy. Is that a fair accounting? Oh, and it sure is. You know, being on the census committee, and Sharice and I were appointed by the lieutenant governor's office to be on the, the 2020 census commission. What an eye-opening experience to look at the numbers and realize that the PD was stagnating. It has been stagnating. Now, we've had our, our wins, but not nearly to the degree and to the speed that the upstate and the Midlands and the low country, and now the Grand Strand. And unfortunately, there's a bit of a zero-sum game where if the job opportunities and the growth go to the upstate or the Midlands to the low country or the Grand Strand, we don't get them here. We don't realize the benefit. So when we realized how Florence County stayed flat, but Marion County dropped almost double digits, Dillon, Darlington, Marlborough, Chesterfield. And as those counties go, it affects Florence and Darlington and the PD. So when we think about the growth here, we can do better. We can do so much better because there's a lot of good, hardworking folks here. Mike, what do we need to do? I mean, obviously, you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but we got to admit we have a problem. Uh, Representative Lowe's been here about the last two Fridays, and he's admitted that we've got a problem. We've got to do something differently. Um, is there something in particular that you want to challenge those those folks who have been in charge? Let, let's look at it a little bit differently. Let's try to think a little bit outside the box. I, I went through some numbers last week on this show you'll be interested in. Florence is the 13th most populated county in the state. From 13 to 46, there's 1.65 million people in our state. Charleston, Horry, and Greenville County have 1.7 million people. And we're going to have disproportional representation if we aren't careful. Having said that, you're going to be, I hope and pray, the senator from Florence. What what sort of changes or inspirations do you have or hope to bring to the forefront to, to help us grow uh, more rapidly than we have? Boy, that's a great question. What needs to be done better? I mean, it's I, all due respect to what we've been doing. My plan is to listen, first of all. I mean, one of the reasons I think we're here today is we have did that 25-tour listening tour, meeting greets from Johnsonville to Scranton to Coward to Effingham to Pamplico to Darlington to Florence, just listening to people, hearing what's on people's minds. So that's first and foremost is less talking, more listening, listening to the constituents here, but even listening in the Columbia, hearing what the, what the legislators in other parts of the state, what they plan on doing. And then when the time comes that they ask, hey, Mike, talk about District 31 in the PD, I'd like to reiterate to them that we do have two interstates and we do have a railway and we have an airport. We've got solid workers here. We've got space. We've got land. We've got the ability to contribute more to the economy of South Carolina. So listening is a big thing, but I think also that business acumen, being the voice to go to other companies who might consider North Carolina or Georgia or Tennessee or might consider other parts of the state and being able to sit down with business leaders like yourself, somebody who has laid awake at night and said, all right, how am I going to make payroll? And that's not hyperbole. That's a, a matter of I don't know if we'll run out of cash. Or not. And if you start running government a little more like families have to run their personal finances and how businesses have to run their finances, I think we're going to find that we can attract those companies that want to come here. We may not get a Boeing. Those are the whales. 
Um, Boeing's don't happen all day or BMWs. But how about that 200 person employer that has $30 an hour jobs, 300 person employer? Those are the kind of jobs that I could see coming here that I would want to attract here. One of the most interesting factors I think you'll deal with is um, replacing a long, and we don't want to take anything for granted. Um, Newsflash, there's an election tomorrow. Go vote for Mike Rickenbaugh as your next senator here in the PD region. Having said that, there was an old hand in politics that served before you. Uh, we'll hopefully get to this seat. Um, and he swayed a lot of influence. I mean, he carried a lot of influence. And when he got to Columbia and spoke, people listened. That's not going to be the case with Mike Rickenbaugh. You're going to start at the beginning, uh, kind of where we all start at some point in time. It's going to take a, t- take a teamwork. I mean, it's going to take county council, city council, the mayor, uh, the school boards, the the, the local delegation. Um, how do you hope to integrate yourself into that team pro- approach instead of having a single um, lawmaker who can kind of move mountains and, and redirect rivers and get whatever it is he chooses <laughs> to get? We're not going to have that. It's going to take a lot of folks working together. Um, speak to that if you don't mind. Yeah, collaboration is, is the word that I think is the word of the day. It's going to need to be the word of the day. When I was chairman of the board of the Greater Florence Chamber, what I learned from that that year being there is if you work in a silo, that makes us weaker. That makes every silo weaker. But if the entities that have a voice, the city council, the county council, NISA, economic development, progress, um, the legislative delegation, if we all work together and ask one single question, what's best for the people? And if that was the preeminent question, not what's best for a party or what's best for my organization or what's best for my personal agenda, what's best for the people. I would be surprised if there isn't room for progress to be made and and quick progress. Now, maybe not as quick as we'd like it to be, but there's a lot of smart people who love Florence and Darlington and this PD district here. There's people that if we work together and got rid of the tribalness and said, how can we answer the question of what's best for the people? I think there's going to be an opportunity to make a lot of progress. What is your what What is the lesson that, that you'd like to share with us that you've learned in running for public office? I mean, running for business, you control everything. You know, the you dictate the terms and conditions of which transaction. In other words, you you sell a car, you don't sell a car. You 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 buy a dealership, you don't buy a dealership. In politics, at times, it is the I call it the um the the the, the art of the inexactness. Uh, there's so many things you're not. What have you learned about yourself and your family as you've offered yourself for public service? Great question. I, I think first and foremost was that the, the folks we've talked with, and boy, we've talked to a lot of them, been such a blessing. There is a desire for a, a true return to conservative Christian values, uh, the values that have made this country great. And the issues across the district vary. Johnsonville has different issues than Pamplico, than Florence, than Darlington. But across the board, the folks that say, you know what, we've lost our way. Our schools have become harder because we've lost our way. Law enforcement has a tougher job. Healthcare has a tougher job. If we get back to the true conservative Christian values that made us who we are, our country can be better. Our state can be better. And I'm so proud to hear people stand up and say, we want that the woke culture and i'm not saying that there's not room to learn but this woke culture that tries to stifle that there's people that have said enough of that enough because we're worse off now than we were we want to be the voice of the true conservative christian republicans who believe we can be better
I want to go on the record. I mean, it was a hard-fought campaign. You, uh, you, you and your family handled yourself admirably uh, beyond reproach, and I applaud both of you and uh, everybody associated with your campaign. Our listeners were kind of split. You know, I like this guy better than that guy. Well, we concluded two good guys seeking the same office. Somebody's got to win. Somebody didn't win. You won. You're the last man standing. I want everybody listening to my voice to make sure they show up tomorrow. Do not take this for granted. This is a this is a Republican seat unless Republicans choose to not go out and vote tomorrow. Crazy things have happened in American politics. Don't let that happen tomorrow. That's my plea to you to go out tomorrow and vote for Mike Rickenbaugh, but you rather hear it from the man himself. So make sure we um motivate people, Mike, to go out and vote tomorrow. Well, I appreciate that opportunity. You know, I've had several meetings now with, with Jay Jordan and Philip Lowe, and we're talking about how we move forward. And we're not premature. We're not looking past this election tomorrow. But I would encourage, I would implore, if you want true conservative Christian Republican values to continue and to be the, the call of the day, then vote tomorrow. And I'd ask humbly for your vote. Jay, Philip, the rest of the delegation, we will work hard to continue to see success here in the PD. And that's the thing I'm most proud of. You know, politics, uh, you get your feelings hurt. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Sometimes it's hard to put those hurt feelings and, and move past it. These folks have done that. Um, and that's good for all of us. I mean, it really, the community is um, is better represented when people are pulling together. And I sense you guys have been able to do that. I applaud you for that. But once again, I want to say this, guys. Don't take anything for granted. I've been around this mess for a long time. Crazy things happen. Please, please, please go out and vote tomorrow. And let's make sure that Mike Rickenbaugh winning the Republican primary is also Mike Rickenbaugh winning the general election. Rev, Sharice wants to say something. Can you turn her? Can you turn her up? Okay. All right. I just want to say, um, Ken, thank you so much because that is a that is a very good point. Uh, I think we hear people say, oh, well, Mike's got this. Mike's got this because he's the Republican candidate. But and when everybody says Mike's got this and they're looking at somebody else, everybody's looking at somebody else and then nobody comes out to the polls. It, it is our God-given right to vote. Get out and vote tomorrow. Very well said. Do not leave anything to chance. Please don't make that mistake. Uh, make sure you shot tomorrow. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Sharice. Thank you. Thank you, and, you Ken. And good luck tomorrow. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937 is our number. Politics is very... <laughs> more time I spend up close to politics, I don't even know know what to say. That was a great interview. With yeah, that, that's I, the guy I spent about two weeks trying to beat. Well, I mean, that's, and what, and that's what I'm talking about. I mean, but it's, it's not, it's, I can't speak for everybody. I certainly won't try to speak. It's never been personal with me. It, it's, there's no way. If you get in politics and take everything personal, you'll jump off a bridge in a week. It's the nature of the business. It is what it is. And, and, and everybody doesn't have the stomach for it. Most people are too moral and ethical for it. Some of us aren't. <laughs> <laughs> so we choose to get involved in, 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 the, uh, in the trade of lies and innuendos. But, mm. but, I mean, no. I mean, you know, Mike is a good guy, a really good guy with, with a great wife and a beautiful family. And he loves the community and he, and he wants to make a difference in the community. I was just for somebody else. That's just the way it works in politics. I mean, there, there are loyalties and friendships and, and pre-existing friendships and a relationships and you pick a horse and sometimes your horse wins and sometimes he doesn't. And I, I perfectly accepted that my horse didn't win in that race, 
and I am a Mike Rickenbaugh fan. I want Mike, and I don't want you to take for granted what could happen tomorrow. We don't need to wake up tomorrow, or excuse me, Wednesday morning, and have the surprise of our lives. So for the Republicans who voted for Jay Jordan, for the Republicans who voted for Mike Rickenbaugh, make sure you go vote again for the Republican candidate that stands for a form of government that, that you are much more in favor of than something else. And I mean that sincerely. Crazy things happen. Don't let that happen uh, tomorrow. Let's go to the phone. Here is Whitney in Florence. Hello, Whitney. You're on the air. Not in Darlington County at Darlington County School. Oh, Darlington. Okay. Good yes, morning. We um. Good morning. Um, we're out here. We're doing a peaceful protest in front of the district office trying to get our voices heard for our children in the school system who are bullied and nothing is being done. We have two years of bullying going on. Explain that a little better. So so what do you hope to accomplish if you're out protesting? And I understand the concept, but what exactly are you trying to, I mean, raise awareness, get get, get the school board to do something? Kind of help me a little bit. Yeah, to have a little bit of accountability for what happens in the school. To do something more than say, well, there's policies in place. Well, if policies in, are in place, what actions are you taking? What so you, actions are we taking to hold these policies? So you believe that there is bullying going on in the Darlington County, County School Districts, and it's not being addressed by those who should be addressing it? Absolutely. Myself and four other mothers were at North Hartsville Elementary School Friday morning at 730, and we were all five turned away. And said it didn't happen on school grounds. There was nothing that could be done. But if it's leading into the school, we are talking fourth graders, that is a problem. The principal has to ha- have accountability for what's going on in her school. Fair enough. Thank you. Do you want others to join you? How can they become more aware of what you're trying to do? Yes. If, well, I don't want anybody to feel like they have to or they feel like their child is going to be shamed or embarrassed for this because I'll be honest with you, when I dropped my 10-year-old daughter off at school this morning, my heart sank because I do not know how she will be treated. I do not know how anybody will treat her to school. Interesting. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. So there's someone, I guess, protesting uh, the lack of accountability. These are her words, not mine on how bullying has been dealt with in the Darlington County School Districts. I've actually got a friend on the Darlington County School Board, and I'll try to reach out to him during the next break to see if I can get more information than that. But a uh, peaceful protest. And there's a parent out there that's trying to do something and and bring attention to an issue out there protesting, calling the radio show. So She made it clear, peacefully protesting. Peacefully (laughs) protesting. We're not throwing rocks and not punching anybody, nor are we slapping people at the Academy Awards, such as um, Chris Rock and Will Smith. So who slapped whom? So so Will Smith, Will Smith slapped Chris walked Rock, up on stage. And, uh, it yes. looked like a phony slap to it me. It did look, kind of look like a Hollywood yeah, slap. like a, one of the Batman, like pow or wham <laughs> or bam. You know, the, the, the big guy, the, the screen goes, yep. uh, what am I trying to say here? You know what yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean? When Batman punches somebody or, the you know, Robin ran. I mean, Robin didn't punch people. Robin let Batman <laughs> do all the fighting for him. Robin would occasionally swing from a chandelier or something like that with those tights on um, <laughs> and take care of business. <laughs> right? About right. Get him, Batman. Yeah, um, yeah get, get him. Can't get a Batman. I want to go back to this issue of um, what do you make of? And we spent a couple of hours this morning, and we'll try to spend a little more time on this. Um, it, it's so interesting to me, Rev, that the Republicans are now the one 
very suspicious of this American imperialism. I mean, historically, it's been the neocons and the Bush doctrine that has dominated the majority of conservative thought. I mean, when you think about Reagan, what do you think about when you think of Ronald Reagan? The Cold War. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, defeating the Soviet Union. They didn't single-handedly do that. But, I mean, Reagan's investment in the American military led to uh, a decline in the Russian economy by trying to keep up. And out of that came um, a decimated economy and a devastated way of life. And the former Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. Out of that comes Russia and Ukraine and, and some of these other um, neighbor, a bunch of stands that nobody know anything or care for or care anything about. But, but the, the, the Republican Party since the Reagan era has been a fairly interventionist party. Would you agree with that? I mean, when you look at the Bush doctrine, I mean, we've, we've stuck our nose in a lot of places. I didn't say in places we had no business sticking our nose, but we did um, and have involved ourselves in places that are a bit questionable. I think traditionally and historically, yes, it has been the Republican, uh, the Republicans that have been tagged as the warmongers, if you will, Right. And at least neocons. I mean, at times, warmongering would have been some of the uh, some of the thing. But but the, the Democrat says over the weekend, my God, this man cannot remain in power. That was it stay or remain. I think it was remain. I want to get it right. My God, this man cannot remain in power. That was it. And and that really reset some of the um because what Putin is trying to convince the Russians is. The Americans don't care anything about Ukraine. This is all about you, the Russians. This is all about you and your demise, your nation, your motherland, your homeland, um, the place you live and love. R- America wants it to be destroyed. America wants to be um, the ruler of the world. They want this, um, you know, this 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 one superpower that dictates all the terms and conditions in which everybody else in the world um, lives. And to some degree, he's not wrong. I mean, in some degree, when you think about the, the, and I guess here's the question you can ask yourself. I don't believe that Rumsfeld, Cheney, or anybody else involved in, the, in what I'd call the Bush doctrine and foreign policy, I don't think they wanted NATO to meet its obligation. Because I think if NATO meets its obligation, excuse me, if the membering institution, membering nations of NATO spend 2% of their GDP on military spending, then guess what? Their default mechanism is not. I mean, they, they, are, they are in charge of their own security. I mean, Europe is making its own decisions based on what is best for European nations, but when they don't, they have to defer to who? The big, bad United States of America. And then we dictate the terms and conditions of who gets in NATO, who doesn't get in NATO, and uh, this unipolar view. And I think it's been the dominant strain of American politics when it comes to foreign policy, not domestic policy. But I think it's so unusual and intriguing this morning that the, there are more Republicans saying, who, who are we to say this man can't remain in power? 67% of Russians voted in 2018. Vladimir Putin got 77% of the votes. Um, did he get them fair and square? I don't know. We don't think Joe Biden got elected fair and square. So what's the difference there? Russia has fraudulent, corrupt elections. Do we? I mean, let's look in the mirror a bit before we look at the Russians and how they do. And we're so good at the Russians or the Chinese or the Middle Easterners. What about the Americans? I mean, where's our struggle? Is it our responsibility? Is it our right to dictate the terms and conditions of who leads lands that may or may not be 
uh, and, and having America's best interests at heart. Let, let's argue that Russia does not have America's best interests at heart because they don't. Because we've argued and convinced the world that America does not have America's best interests at heart. Do we have a right to dictate the terms and conditions of who wins that election or not? Who gets to lead that country or not? I think it's a bizarre. So, I mean, it, it, to me, it's it, when, when he says this, who do you think you are to say that some world leader can't remain in power? And, and it's not, it can't be about this, Rev. It can't be because, once again, if it were about human atrocities, the killing of innocent lives, we would overthrow the government in South Sudan tomorrow or Mozambique tomorrow, Ethiopia tomorrow, Yemen tomorrow. I mean, there are a lot of places that are conducting civil wars, but you know what they don't have? They don't have America's political or economic interest at heart. Let's go to the phone. Here is Rajan in Darlington. Morning, Rajan. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I actually dropped uh, dropped my son off in Darlington High School and saw those ladies out there and gave him your number. But, but uh, hey, listen, on the slap, man, I mean, I, I went to bed without a, a perfect example and I woke up and saw that. It's a perfect example of what it is to have, you know, uh, someone be able to say a word or say something and, and, and have the, have it, you know, embraced and everything else. And they let, uh, let people just, you know, it's a joke, it's a joke, it's a joke. But then all of a sudden when the tables are turned, they want to get upset and mad and want to slap people. That's the perfect scenario. That's the perfect scenario to show just how hypocritical the left is. You can say whatever you want to, and nothing is said, and you, everybody else has got to accept it. And on the flip side, somebody says it towards you or says it about you, you want to go in, you want to rush in, and you want to slap that you-know-what out of them. And that, 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 it's a double standard. If, if people can't see that, you know, I understand it his wife and everything else, but Will Smith has said stuff about other people's wives, you know? She said it. These are comedians, so so they want they, they, it's, it's cancel culture, you know, up and down. And and I I didn't watch the, the uh, I didn't watch the Oscars. Didn't have any 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 uh, any interest in it. But I mean, you know, like I said, it's, just, it's a perfect example of the hypocrisy on the left. You know, and if it was a fake slap, well, you know, I didn't see nobody's face sweating up. Or, you know, Chris Rock, Chris Rock's mouth slant that way anyway. But uh, my thing is, Chris Rock's in South Carolina, and I know if uh, that had happened down in Pamplico and somebody's up on stage and somebody comes up and slaps me, you know, it's going to be a little bit of fight. You know what I'm saying? I do. Thank you, Rujan. appreciate that. To me, it looks staged. I mean, the more I look at it, the more – and I looked on Twitter a second ago. Someone sent me a uh, kind of a, a steel shot, and it looks completely and totally staged. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where the Academy Awards are. I mean, maybe to the point of irrelevancy that if they can get, you know – uh, a, a, a uber popular comedian to slap a uber popular. Now you can't do a white guy and a black guy because race gets involved in that. So, um, you know, if a white slaps a white or a black slaps a black, I would imagine it's hard to make that racist, but, um, I, that, that leads me to believe it may not be staged because if it were to be staged, it would probably try to bring race into this to make it even more mm. provocative and controversial. It just looks staged to me. I don't give a damn who hit who. I mean, between uh, Chris Rock and Will Smith, uh, you know, I like both of those guys. I've seen some Will Smith movies. 
Uh, Chris Rock's a, a funny guy from South Carolina. So to say I don't like either of those guys is, is I don't know much about either of those. Um, somebody just texted me a second ago and said that um, Will Smith's wife has some sort of disease mm-hmm. that causes your hair to fall out. And Chris Rock made a joke about her losing her hair. Is that right? Yeah, he said something about G.I. Jane. Yeah. And I guess Rock wanted to defend his wife's, in, you know, honor. Smith, Smith. And, um, yeah, Will Smith wanted to. So Smith's wife's the one. Okay, I got yeah. you now. Okay. So Rock makes the joke yep. about Smith's wife. Smith walks on stage and slaps Rock because of the joke he made about his wife. And his wife has some disease that causes your hair to fall out. Yep. Okay. That's how I understand it. And we've got a war brewing in Ukraine. And this right. kind of thing of that, you know, America's more, doesn't that kind of prove our, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it, but I woke up this morning to a tweet. There's more interest in the Oscars <laughs> this year than I've heard for years. <laughs> and there right? you go. It was staged. I'm convinced of it. Take a break. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. The, um, the crux of today's show has been about three quotes that President Biden made uh, while traveling around Europe, began in Brussels, ended up in Poland, in Warsaw, if I'm not mistaken, three things that he said in particular that garnered a lot of attention. One we've covered extensively here uh, this morning. He said, my God, this man cannot remain in power. I mean, that was when he, that was after he spoke passionately about democracy and liberties and freedoms. Not a big believer in those things, but he likes to, to talk about um, those particular things. Um, so the White House had to walk back some of that because in essence, that plays into Putin's hands because Putin really tries to convince the Russians that all America's out for is regime change. They don't want to just decide who leads the Western world. They want to decide who leads your country. Hard to argue they don't. When when um when the president of the United States kind of ad libs and off the cuff says something uh, that the White House says, no, 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 no. We didn't mean that. No, he meant that um Putin can't remain in power if he continues to kill innocent uh, civilians in sovereign nations. Well, let me say that. Either say what you mean or don't talk at all. And the other thing he said, uh, what were you on? I'm going to say that they always have to walk this back and they have to correct or clarify. These these are three major things he said while on this foreign trip that they had to walk back or clarify. So so who is correct? I mean, if I mean, he is the president, so is he not in charge? So if he says it, that's what it is. Well, I mean, the, right? you can be in charge. Here's the thing. I mean, either, and Spin, this is not just a simple but misspeak, I mean, pe- right? People who say these things are either drunk or they're in cognitive decline. There's no reason to believe that Biden is drinking on the job, is there? I mean, I don't see any evidence of that. So it's obvious he's in cognitive decline. And when, when the guy's in cognitive decline and he reads off a teleprompter and he's fully medicated, he'll do okay. I mean, he slurs his words and he kind of stumbles around a bit, but he doesn't say things like provoking the Third World War. <laughs> But when he says ad-libbing, my God, this man cannot remain in power. I mean, those are those are, I mean, those those are not words by a radio show host, right? But I mean, that's the president that, that, of the United States. And that's my States. point. And he says it. And and the and the media and the world just pretends that oh, he's he's fine. This is normal. You know, he's he's just he's all there. What are you talking well, about? They, they don't even believe that. I mean, there, there's not a liberal Democrat listening to my voice that doesn't believe Joe Biden's in cognitive decline. Now, now there, there, there are those who won't admit it, but that's like, you know, um, is, is Clemson better than South Carolina? Ask a Gamecock, and they'll figure out a way to say, no, they aren't. Um, you know better than that. But, but, but as we pretend that he's okay well, I mean, and everything's normal, I mean, this is a 
dangerous game to well, play. I mean, it, it, it's it's dangerous. Yes, it's extremely dangerous, and it has consequences. And now, um, the one thing that you can't allow to happen is Putin convince a certain percentage of the Russian citizens that the this is not about Ukraine. This is about you Russians uh, being able to choose your president or not. I mean, Putin in 2018 won an election with 60, excuse me, with 77% of the vote, 67% of Russians voted. I don't know how legitimate that election was. I don't have any idea. I mean, I'd like, I, I, I can make an assumption that it was not very fair and square because Putin doesn't roll that way. But I don't know anything other than 77% of the people who voted voted for Putin. About 67 or 8% of the country voted. That's all I know. Did Mark Zuckerberg spend money in in Russia like he did in America to make sure the outcome uh, happened? I don't have any idea what's true and what's not true. And then um, he says that if Putin indeed attacks with chemical weapons or uses chemical weapons, the U.S. would respond in kind. But that's pretty bizarre. The U.S. will respond in kind. Well, once again, the White House says, well, that's not really what he meant. He meant we'll respond forcefully. Well, I mean, there's a difference in in kind and forcefully. Right. If Putin, um, if Putin uses chemical weapons, the U.S. will respond in kind. That are those are the exact words of the American president. So the White House had to walk back. Um, he didn't really mean um, cannot remain in power. He didn't really mean um, will uh, respond in kind. Nor did he mean when he spoke to the 82nd Airborne um, that you will see when you get there. What's happening uh, in Ukraine? You'll see the, the the bravery. You'll see the the courage. You'll see the warriors. You'll see the Ukrainians fighting for and they're like, their country what do you mean and when we get there. And um, yeah, the, 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 what are you telling the, us the, here? The, the members of the Airborne Division said, "Do what?" I mean, I thought you said we weren't going uh, to Ukraine. In fact, what are you telling the world? You're so then the, world. The, the White House walks that back. So over the weekend, there's three walkbacks that are you know examples of a man in cognitive decline who says things when he ad libs a bit that are completely and totally irresponsible. You didn't vote. You voted for him, not me. Take a break. Back in a minute. (laughs) 843-661-0937 is our number. You have a call? We do. Okay. Let's go to line two, which is our candidate for the South Carolina district 31 sentence. Okay, Suzanne La Rochelle is with us this morning. Suzanne, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Mr. Ard. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, happy Monday morning, and uh, congratulations for being the Democrat nominee. Uh, the majority of, uh, of talk we do on this show is about politics. We spent a great deal of time talking about the Republican primary because we had a hotly contested Republican primary. Didn't spend as much time talking about the Democrats in this race. But indeed, you are the Democrat candidate. So um, to our listeners, introduce yourself and why you think um, you deserve their consideration. Thank you very much. And good morning, everyone on the air. My name is Suzanne La Rochelle. I am a mom. I am a special needs teacher. I am a social worker. And I have been a community activist for as long as I've lived in Florence. And, you know, I believe that there's an ex- voting is extremely important and we have this election tomorrow and i just want to encourage everyone to get out and vote for a mom vote for a social worker vote for someone who cares about a livable min- minimum wage someone who cares about 
mental health service, public education, women's rights, substance abuse treatment, which is abysmal in this state. Um, I just really want to go to the Senate and vote for people and vote for people over over power, over corporations, over bureaucracy. Um, I want to speak truth to power, and I have the courage, as you can see, by coming on this radio station to say every vote matters, and we need to elect Democrats so we can be fairly represented in South Carolina. Susanna, why do you think we've gotten to a place? You make an interesting point. I mean, we kind of, we, we silo ourselves in society. Our Republicans, you know, they gather together and Democrats gather together and conservatives gather together and liberals gather together. I mean, why do you think that we've ended up in a place where we do tend to be not as interested in what those with different voices have to say? That's a really good question, and I think it's a difficult question to answer. I think that, um, unfortunately, our media divides us. You know, Democrats listen to two stations or three stations, and Republicans listen to Fox News, and Republicans are, you know, so much better at at, – rallying their base and i think that um i honestly think that democrats often uh play more uh fairly and speak the truth and then we have donald trump coming on the radio coming to florence and still saying that he won the election and people believe him and i remember when you know as a licensed clinical social worker someone who has diagnosed many people with narcissism. I have not diagnosed Donald Trump, but he checks all the boxes for a malignant narcissist. He doesn't care about you, Ken. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about your party. I mean, socially, he's kind of been a Democrat, right? But he chose the Republican Party because he felt that his message would be amplified better. And unfortunately... I mean, I think it's ridiculous that he's still after, what, 60 different judges that he appointed and said, no, Mr. Trump, you did not win this election. And so then he incited an insurrection. Why why do you think the Republicans have been so successful in South Carolina? You know, I think that the Republican message about loving America and loving the, our history and and the Republicans are better about getting the message across. And I mean, Ken, you are an expert in politics. I, you know, wasn't it during like when Newt Gingrich was around and they had this uh, this theory about uh, dividing. I mean, the Republic, Republicans even, you know, I was reading some history books. Um, their goal wasn't about unifying us. It was about um, getting black versus white. Um, 
and 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 making us more polarized, dividing us. You know, the fact is, if poor white people and poor black people came together, South Carolina would be blue. If, if poor white people voted for their rights, like minimum wage, uh, 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 I mean, our state doesn't have a minimum wage, right? Um, I, I think that the people would win. And, you know, it's, it's, I have to be very honest with you, Ken, and say I grew up, I was born on Dover Air Force Base. And I traveled all over this country. My father is a retired master sergeant after serving the country for 30 years. And, you know, he believes in, you know, like Republican old time Reagan Republican message. But he, you know, as an 85 year old man, he can see that the former president is, um, it is ill. And it's, it's dividing us. You know, the fact that we have, um, you know, elected officials that believe in the QAnon, you know, group or whatever they're called. I mean, how did that happen? What do you think? I mean, and this will be my last question. And once again, I appreciate you coming on and you're welcome to come on anytime and express yourself. I mean, you and I would probably disagree more than, than agree, but I would always respect your opinion but I want to ask you this, because this is, um, I guess this is bipartisan in, in, a, in a sort of way. Why do you think Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders' message resonated to people who believed that the political apparatus had not considered their fate nor fortune? Because if you, if you look at it in a weird way, Suzanne, a lot of what Bernie Sanders said to a very liberal universe and a lot of what Donald Trump said to a very conservative universe were similar in tenor. Why do you think those two messages resonated with such large audiences in the Democrat Party and in the Republican Party? I believe that both sides are extreme. And they resonated with a group of people who did not believe that with the more um, moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats, they, they didn't see change. And they saw potential change in Trump and potential change in Bernie. So they were voting, they were voting for change. And no matter what the change was, they just desperately wanted some sort of change. I believe so. I believe so, but they're extreme different. You know, the Republican or, you know, the Donald Trump people, you know, want to take away women's rights. I mean, Marsha Blackburn was, you know, at the judicial hearing last week saying that the Supreme Court decision about birth control should be changed. You know, they want to take away our, our teenage girls' right to birth control? They want to take away our right to body autonomy. I mean, there's some crazy laws out there, our bills out there right now that you, you know, so they ban abortion in your state, and then they don't want you to have the right to to move across borders to access the service you need. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is I know many Republicans and Democrats who have access to wealth. 
And if they have access to wealth, they will be able to access a safe abortion. If you do not have access to wealth, you will not be able to access a safe abortion. And women, young women, will die. Suzanne, thank you for your time. I wish you well tomorrow. You're on the ballot. Um, You're the Democrat nominee. Mike Rickenbach is the Republican nominee. Thank you for your time. Have a great day, ma'am. Thank you. So there you go. Um, Kind of an interesting take from someone who doesn't see the world uh, as the majority of us see the world. Hmm. And, and I if, didn't and, want that then. But I, I just I, I find those sorts of conversations very interesting. Well, and it was interesting to me. It went to Trump again. You know, this is a, a, a state Senate seat, and and she had a lot to say about former President Trump. She accused him of being a narcissist. Yeah, yeah. I don't buy that. Not for a second. I think Trump's a humble servant. <laughs> Right. We all know Trump's a narcissist. We voted for him despite uh, that reality. Let's go to the phone. Here's Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. Morning, fellas. Hey, listen, Ken, I think this weekend's basketball game uh, between Duke and Carolina is going to be epic. And I think y'all a couple of weeks ago said something about the most watched basketball game. And I can't remember what game that was. But I have a feeling this is going to be the most watched basketball game in basketball history. And I myself can't wait to see it. Um, Ken, I I have a mea culpa. And uh, I I can't believe I'm announcing this on the air. But I was forced, because I was in somebody's car this weekend, and they had serious radio and we listened to almost an entire bruce springsteen live concert you must have been listening to east street radio well yeah that must have been it (laughs) and uh i gotta tell you it was it was good (laughs) it was really good come on jammy I just, I know, I, I just, uh, uh, I hated to admit it, Ken, but I'd like to see that guy in contact. Oh, there you go, Jam. Man, what in Write the another world? name on the board there, Ref. Thank you, Jam. Oh, Appreciate man. it. Put that name on the uh, on the wall over there of uh, of, of converts. Oh my Those goodness! Those who have been uh, converted over to, um, yeah, <laughs> give Bruce a try. How about that? Give Bruce <laughs> a try, and you'll um you'll enjoy it. I'll assure you of that. Somebody else on the phone. Let's go there. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate the call. Carol in Marion. Hi, Carol. Hi. Um, so who was the woman you just had on? That is Suzanne uh, La Rochelle, who is the Democrat Suzanne. candidate for Senate District 31 in the special election tomorrow, where the Republican is Mike Rickenbach. Okay. Suzanne La Rochelle had me impressed until she got to the point where she said, oh, the Democrats listen to two or three stations and the Republicans listen to Fox News. That tells me, that told me that she just doesn't get it. She is a subscriber to the liberal mindset that, um, you know, the, the stereotype of Republicans. And she has no interest in learning what we actually want. You know, uh, women, uh, uh, the Republicans want to take away women's rights to choose 
birth control. No. Where in the world did she get that from? The liberals. You know, um, oh, they want to take away, take away the complete right to abortion and, and take away our autonomy. Where did she get that? The liberal stereotype of Republicans. So she just sounds like she needs to take a page out of Donald Trump's people's book and not badmouth someone who's not even a political, um, can, a political adversary, but focus on why she should be elected. And all she was doing was bad-mouthing Trump and the people who voted for him. Thank you, Carol. But if you're running as a Democrat, that's the most popular thing you can do. I mean, it still is. I mean, I've seen some of the polling. She did call me an expert, I will say. Uh, but, but, but I've seen some of the polling. You caught that. I did catch that. Thank you, Suzanne. Appreciate that. The $20 uh, will be in the uh, in the mail, and you can contribute that to the Bernie Sanders President Fund in 2024. She's, I mean, she appeared to be a nice lady. I've never met Suzanne in my life. I mean, I don't agree with anything she said over the airways, except, you know, the political system is broken but um, I mean, the Democrat talking point, the most convincing Democrat talking point in America today is everything wrong with the political world is because we hayseeds elected Donald Trump. I mean, that plays well in that universe. I mean, it plays well today. It played well then. It's still the, uh, the force and factor that Trump will have to deal with if he decides to run again. Donald Trump inspires a lot of support. He also inspires a lot of opposition. He cuts both ways. We've had extensive conversations about that reality on this show. Um, it is what it is. With Trump, you get it all. It's a little bit like Joe Walsh. I think the best line of the Eagles documentary is when Glenn Fry and Don Henley were being interviewed and somebody called them a folk band. We don't want to be a folk band. We want to be a rock and roll band. So they went and hired Joe Walsh as their lead guitarist. And one or the other, Fry or Henley says, and we got all of Joe. We, we did get the lead guitarist. He made us a, um, a hard-hitting rock and roll band, but we also got the guy that drank too much, set the tour bus on fire, tore hotel rooms up. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I think with Trump, I mean, Trump is the Joe Walsh. But he you could did, play the heck out of a guitar. Yeah, I mean, he was a great lead guitarist for a rock and roll. Still is, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Walsh says he plays better today than he ever has. And someone says, why? You practice more. He says, no, I'm sober. I mean, I'm not drunk all the time. I'm not <laughs> under the influence of uh, foreign substances any longer. I'm a much better guitarist today than I was when I was hired drunk at about every concert we ever did. Um, but but Suzanne, I mean, I think you would agree to this, Rev, embodied what, what I call, you know, intellectual libertarian, I mean, intellectual liberalism. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's the it's the mindset of a liberal. We hear the talking points, they're, they're they're, you know, recounted over and over and over again. But the one issue that plays well in those circles, Donald Trump bad. Orange man bad. Orange man bad. Orange man bad. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Kind of a chaotic last few moments. <laughs> uh, if I'm not mistaken, Suzanne La Rochelle called back, wanted to get back on the air. Uh, to tell me she didn't mean to call me an expert. She misspoke. She was trying to be uh, polite. (laughs) But you said it, Suzanne. So, I mean, you know, a Democrat calling me an expert in politics. It's hard to take that back. Uh, You can't take that back. I'm taking that and running with it. But we've had several inquiries about her candidacy. um, And somebody called a second ago saying, you know, the the inside the mind of a liberal. uh, I mean, the liberals would argue inside the mind of a conservative lies. Whatever, you know, and these are the fundamental debates that we've had historically 
uh, about American politics. Let's go to the phone. David in Florence. Hello, David. Hey, good morning. Yeah, Ken, many kudos to you for the way that you speak to these people on the other side of the political aisle. I've been trying to follow your example, and when I speak to people like that, I try to follow to the point and be logical. But I tell you what, sometimes it's really tough when you talk to somebody like that. But two points you have about bodily autonomy. And I just wonder, where were the Democrats for bodily autonomy during COVID? And they're trying to force us to wear masks and put stuff in our bodies. Who knows what's in those vaccines? And the other thing was about wealth and, um, you know, what wealth people can do to get around political decisions. And I just want to bring up Obamacare and the fact that us poor people didn't have a choice with Obamacare forced to have our health uh, insurance prices uh, skyrocketing. But anyway, just a couple points. There's a lot of other things, but those are two I wrote down. Thank you, anyway, David. Thanks. Thank you. Well, appreciate that. I've always tried to be respectful. The one thing I've always tried to get is, is to a place of consistency in my beliefs and in politics. Now, that's hard. I mean, it really is. You have a lot of different forces and a lot of different persuasions and lobbying and consulting and, uh, friend, you know, the the – you do this for me and I'll do that for you. It's hard to be completely and totally consistent in your political life. But the one thing I've tried to do is adhere to some belief system of which I, I have and my politics are generated from that. Um, now, once again, I accept the reality of everybody doesn't have my belief system. There are a lot of people out there with very different belief systems and they adhere to those belief systems. And um, and I guess, Rev, that's what kind of goes into the, uh, the devil's brew of American politics. And out of that comes... What do we have today? You know, and um, and Suzanne is absolutely, absolutely entitled to have her opinion heard. And we are a conservative outlet. We do make a living speaking to the masses in a and conservative way. Coming of course on here. she knows that. Absolutely she knows that. But we've never, I mean, how many times did I say, hey, what does she want to talk about? I mean, let, let's don't have her on there. I mean, this is, you know, no, we're, we're not nope. going to do that. We're not going to censor. We're not going to tamp out anybody else's opinion. You may find it crazy and nonsensical and not deserving of being over the airwaves, but we're going to always allow people to express themselves however they choose to express themselves, especially when they refer to yours truly as an expert. <laughs> oh, you're let's just go. not going to let <laughs> that go, let's, are you? Let's go to the phone. Here's Jim in Florence. Hi, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So to use the experts, um, one of the experts saying, uh, if politics is the art of addition, I think we should use uh, your previous phone call as an example of what not to do. Um, We often attack the voters of our political enemies instead of attacking our political enemies. And what Suzanne did was made me feel attacked um, and didn't make me feel like uh, she cared to represent me, but care to represent uh, ideas and values with a, a national party instead of worrying about the issues that affected my life right here in District 31. Um, we have to go after the politicians and not the voters. Sometimes I hear it on here, Ken, uh, we want to make fun of people that voted for Joe Biden. We need those people that voted for Joe Biden to get Trump back in there, get whoever in there. We Politics is the art addition, and we got to make sure we we are very careful of crossing that line. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Jim, but what Jim? Ah, Jim, but what Jim? But what Jim? Jim does something that most don't do. 
Jim takes the time to give issues serious consideration, and if he doesn't understand it, you know what he does? He digs a little deeper until he does understand those issues. And it really goes back to the serious nature of the American public or not. I mean, if you want an effectively governed nation, let the masses become more informed, more engaged, more disciplined, more aware, more understanding, um, less sympathetic, less emotional, um, less affected by whether Will Smith really slapped Chris Rock or not. Um, I mean, that that's the only hope we have. I mean, it really is. Politics is the art of addition. Serious political movements require serious people. And our nation is in need of a serious political revival. And it's going to require serious people. How many people have an interest in being serious about American politics? How many people would rather flip it on for about five or six minutes and watch whatever it is the five have to say or Wolf Blitzer on CNN have to say or Rachel Maddow on MSNBC? But I mean, that's the unserious nature of the consuming public. And until we take our politics more seriously, until we dive a little deeper and take a little more time to try to better understand whatever these issues are, we're going to get exactly what we deserve. Um, we're going to get rulers who take advantage of our ignorance and our um, lack of understanding and lack of seriousness. That's the word I keep coming back to, unserious. We are a very, very unserious people. I'm going to pose a question. We'll go there extensively tomorrow. We talked about unipolar and multipolar and, you know, um, the Bush doctrine being that of America as the preeminent superpower. I could argue today that there is no superpower in the world. Can a superpower be $30 trillion in debt and still be a superpower? Can a superpower um, have half the country question the outcome of an election and an 81-year-old man in cognitive decline be its leader and still consider itself to be a superpower? Could we live in a world today where we're not only, it's not a multipolar moment nor a unipolar moment, but a moment where there is no superpower in the world today? I mean, we, we portray ourselves better than anybody in the world at being an effective superpower, maybe or maybe, maybe not. Um, do we need a rival? Do we need a new rival? Uh, the emergence of China. Will the, the reemergence of a new rival in the, the Chinese be something good for America? Could it force us to be more serious? Because we are an incredibly unserious people. Uh, winning the Cold War, did we become lackadaisical? Were we allowed to be unserious? I mean, we defeated the Russians. The Soviet Union is no longer in existence. Let's take a victory lap. Let's drink a glass of champagne and watch Seinfeld until we can't watch Seinfeld anymore. Let's not pay attention to the world around us. I mean, is there, is there some of that in this? I mean, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think we took a big victory lap, and I think there are certain forces in Washington that took advantage of our unseriousness, and out of that came a very lackadaisical last 25 or 30 or 40 years. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD is next. Hi, David. Hey, good morning. Hey, man, I tell you what, this is this is just awesome. You've got Mike, a real-world businessman, and, and he's really been in, in business. Think about that. He's got TV commercials and everything. And you've got somebody in the industry of sociology and activism. And I don't know how many jobs they have produced themselves, uh, but when when you, and hopefully y'all vote tomorrow. Don't go to the Bob Dylan concert before you vote. 
Bob Dylan's in Columbia tomorrow, right, Ken? I think he's at the township. He's at the township. But you use the term stage. When you're talking about um, Will Smith, guess what I saw on Saturday? I saw Joe Biden. You talk about stage. He had this backdrop of the Warsaw Royal Castle. And he, he he's a copycat. He's trying to copy. JFK did a speech in West Berlin back in the day. So did Ronald Reagan. So he got Biden coming on. He's talking about Lech Walesa and Pope John Paul II. Don't mention anything about Ronald Reagan or JFK or all these other people involved in the Cold War. Um, and they had they did it just at dusk. They had the studio lighting is what I call it, the teleprompter. So what we see here today is the, the match of what I call stagecraft and statecraft. And it just it, it bugs me to death, man, because I, and I hear these people talk about on CNN, Biden, he's uniquely capable to handle this. Uh, and when he w- met with those kids the other day, empathizer-in-chief, I mean, isn't it commander-in-chief? And I'll leave you this, man. I watched it. I watched they, those shot their missiles to this town in Ukraine that's like close to the Poland border. And doggone if Don Lemon doesn't show up very close to it. And he says to him, he says to the audience, can you hear the sizzle? Can you hear the sizzle? I mean, that's all these guys care about. And there were some Ukrainian people to their, I mean, I, I give them credit. They, these guys look like Dick Buckus, Larry Zalka. They were rolling their eyes at, at, at Don Lemon. They were like, good gosh, this guy could care less about what's going to he, you talk about the drive-by media. We have the global drive-by media. Leave it at that. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville is next. Hi, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. The problem with most people is they don't understand policy. And they think whenever we criticize someone for their policy, we're like they are when they criticize the person. I don't ever criticize the person. I criticize their policy. And you have to make that distinction. That's why when they were talking about all oh, the Republicans treated that Jackson lady because she's she's black and she's a woman, well, she doesn't even know if she's a woman or not, so that's irrelevant. You don't attack her for that. You attack her for her policy. And she would not answer the policy question. As far as Russia goes and all these other countries, they are not like we are trying to erase our history. They are, they remember history. And they remember what happened in World War II. Actually, Soviet Union was our ally in World War II. But we let Germany kick the living crap out of them before we came in and helped them out. So they remember history. We try to forget it. I mean, we're in the process now of trying to prop up Iran to be a hegemony against Israel. They say Israel is too strong, so they want Iran to to be able to uh, balance out Israel, and that's some of the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life. It makes no sense. So you, you've got to go with the policy versus the person. And 
you know, they keep trying to redefine the Republican policy. Reagan and Trump had the policy about right, and you, you know, you can't improve on that. So y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. You know, there's I'm gonna try to find this, but I've read before. Um, somebody who talked a lot about these sorts of things we've discussed this morning was Jean Kirkpatrick. Remember her, Reb? If I'm not mistaken, she was Reagan's UN ambassador, and she was also a um a trusted advisor I I do of President her. Reagan. But she said some things very intellectual about the Cold War and could America could America ever imagine itself as a normal country again? Or would it always be one of these unipolar powers? In other words, unipolarity being the um ah, the gauge or measure of which we um, find ourselves I'll tell you who else wrote a lot about this, Charles Krauthammer. I mean, Krauthammer talked a lot about it after the Soviet Union dissolved and the the Americans won the Cold War. And I mean, you gotta you gotta admit, Reb, that when you win the Cold War and the world celebrates the accomplishments of the Western world, United States, that there's a certain hubris that you gotta be careful to not be blinded by. And at times I wonder if we have not fallen suspect or, or blinded by our own hubris when the Berlin Wall fell. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That was a monumental moment in world history. And America deserves a lot of credit. But but how have we fared since then? Were we a much better nation when we had? Would, would Bird have been as good without Magic or Magic been as good without Bird? We've lived about 40 years in a... um. And kind of being the only superpower, nobody to measure against, nobody to contrast with. And out of that came this um this pursuit of a mission that that basically reached far beyond our Constitution's requirements of how to keep Americans safe and secure. And we got into exporting democracy or or establishing democracies around the world and 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 vilifying certain election outcomes. In other words, we did things. What, what do they say? You know, um, why did I do it? Because I could. Why did we do some of these things? Because we could. I'm going to spend a good bit of the afternoon. I got some time late this afternoon, and I'm going to really go back and research. I want to make sure I'm right here. But Gene Kirkpatrick, if I'm not mistaken, and Charles Krauthammer wrote a lot, articulated a lot about the dangers of being blinded by your own hubris after the Berlin Wall fell and what America better be careful about and guarded by. Have we done a good job of that or not? Um, That's kind of an interesting debate. And it really goes back to the fundamental um, issue. When Biden says, my God, this man cannot remain in power. How long has Biden, to some degree, held political power? Since before the Berlin Wall fell, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he got to Washington in the late 70s? Yeah. Right. I mean, his whole life has been uh, America as the preeminent and mostly lone superpower in the world. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Got some trivia in store. Just a couple of minutes down the road. I got one more break and then our trivia. Right now we have a call. Let's go there. Yeah, this next caller is Anonymous. So good morning, Anonymous. You're on the air. Uh, Mr. Kenyon. Yes, sir. I love your show. Um, about the lady that called that's running against Rick and Bob, what bothers me the most, that the Democrats, they always seem to say women's rights. 
women's rights, about abortion and stuff. But how about the little baby? And I'd like to hear your response and the revs. Doesn't the little baby have a right? Anyway, I'll let you handle that one. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's a layup for me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. No question about it. Um, Abortion to me is not about a woman's right to choose, but whether or not we're going to kill an unborn child. I mean, that, 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 I mean, in other words, we've got a, um, let's say we've got a series of questions to answer before we make a determination of what's right and what's wrong. The first question should be whether or not the government is going to endorse the killing of innocent life. I mean, if we answer that question, I don't think there's a second one to be had. I mean, really and truly, is the government going to unilaterally endorse the killing of, a, of an unborn baby? Now, if you answer yes, then there are a multitude of places or multiple places of which we go from there. But if you answer that no, that's game, set, match as far as I'm concerned. Let's go to the phone. Next up is Michael in Florence. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you? Hey, Michael. Um, I came in late on the La Rochelle interview, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if you asked her about her policies. I mean, I tried. I mean, I said, you know, if you if you if you're given the opportunity to, I mean, I only had about five minutes, and it was not a um a debate setting. Uh, I said, if you have an opportunity to represent the fine people to District 31, what sort of um what sort of I don't know what sort of uh, senator you wish to be. I can't recount exactly what I asked her, but I mean, I thought that was the way I. I mean, normally when you ask someone running for office that question, they'll tell you the list of priorities that they have if they're given the opportunity to serve. I think she probably told you about uh, mental health issues and education. Okay. Yeah, I think she did mention that. She did? Yeah. And I think her policies on those two aspects are 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 valid. The state has very little as far as, as um, mental health is concerned. I've been in the mental health system as as a patient and as a husband of a psychiatrist, and it's loath it's loathing is how I would describe how the mental health institutions here are in South Carolina. And I would totally agree to that, and I think we have woefully and inadequately underfunded. Uh, mental health. I certainly agree with that. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. We got to take a break. Don't want to mean to dismiss the uh, the caller, but yeah, I mean, I, I I would I would absolutely agree, emphatically agree that we have woefully underfunded mental illness, mental health in this state and in this nation, for that matter. Back in a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Pepsi Flores trivia question: Who lost? Who had the most casualties in World War Two? 843-661-0937. Who had the most casualties in World War II? Thanks to Pepsi of Florence. They support us every single day, in particular on Monday and Friday, as they sponsor our Takes Mondays to Make Fridays trivia question. Uh, the correct caller wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. And because of supply chain issues, only one Takes Mondays to Make Fridays Pepsi of Florence t-shirt. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Germany. No, sir. That's not right. 843-661-0937. Do we have another? Not yet. Okay. 843-661-0937. The following countries have the highest estimated World War II casualties 
Um, I'll give you the number. 20 to 27 million is what the estimates are. Hi, right, do you know the answer? Japan. Nope. 843-661-0937. We're not going to get this done before the end of our show. Hey, call and we'll still um, give the reward or the award.